Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. We need as much money as we can. This is the press box. The age difference on this show. With Grady and Bischoff. I'm glad you're the one that went in on the details of how my answer Oh, come on, I'm feral. Oh, Prickly Pete. Here we go. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Boy, you know what we're starting. There's no reason to even say who's on the show. Let's just start. The first bite. I I actually wasn't prepared. (laughs) Neither was I. I just read the the rundown six seconds ago. Did George McPhee and <laughs> Kelly McCrimmon cost the Golden Knights a win last night? We're going to, I assume we're going to differ here, given the headline to my column is management had the right idea about going all in. <laughs> so, I, I'll give you the floor. I'll say that it wouldn't have been as bad, and I never wish this upon anyone if any if uh, someone other than Peyton Krebs didn't get hit square in the face with a, with a puck and broke his jaw because that kind of made things difficult. But... I will agree that 15 is kind of a preposterous number for skaters. I mean, 17, you could see, but 15 uh, was a little preposterous. Yeah, the Golden Knights last night played with 15 skaters. Normally, you play with 18 skaters. They played down three. The last time that happened was 2010. It's been more than a decade since an NHL team played down three skaters, and it's, it's because of the front office. And... Then the big picture, we've talked about it, right? They basically built a team that was over the salary cap at full strength, but they, you know, were able to wave guys like Nick Holden throughout the season, send Cody Glass up and down. And, and they knew that if they had a few injuries, they'd be playing down a man. But I don't think they ever planned to play down three skaters in one game. And in the small picture, because they chose to play Peyton Krebs the last three games, that's what led to them not having but 15 skaters last night because the way the way it works is you are allowed to call up an emergency recall like you're allowed to if you have players hurt you can have an emergency recall of a guy that doesn't count against the salary cap but you have to play a game without that player before you can have the emergency recall and so with Peyton Krebs out with Alec Martinez out the Golden Knights had to play last night before they could have an emergency recall meaning they had to play with 15 last night but if they hadn't played Peyton Krebs they could have played with 17 last night Peyton Krebs essentially is worth two players and because they played Peyton Krebs they had to play down three that was these are all decisions the front office has made and then if you look at the results obviously the Golden Knights give up a goal go ahead goal in the third Shea Theodore played six more minutes than average. Petrangelo played four more minutes than average. Stone, Stevenson, Janmark were all over three. Smith, Carlson, Marshall were all over two. All the important players on the team played significantly more minutes than they normally do. And the final 10 and a half minutes of that game, the Golden Knights had one shot on goal. This is a team that was losing with 837 left in the game, and they had one shot on goal. One of the best offensive teams in the NHL down a goal late, and they can't get a shot on goal. That's a tired team, and it's absolutely because of the front office. Like, well, there's no doubt the front office cost them the game last it's, night. It's definitely on them. It's definitely on the. It's definitely on manager making those decisions. Uh, 
I'll go back to what we said yesterday. And like I said, I do think there's two sides to this. One is the long-term, one is the short-term. So the long-term is you give Petrangelo, what, eight years at 8.8. So at that point, I assume you know there could be issues down the road, but you know what? No, we're going all in. We're going to get this guy. He's one of the best players in the world at his position. Um, they've done these things in the past at the deadline in the offseason where they've just kind of gone for guys. And, you know, they haven't won a cup yet, but you can't. You can never accuse them, I guess, of not trying to win because they always, you know, have come up with someone more hits than misses uh, when they do these things. But in the moment, you're right that they got to 15 and it's on them for getting to 15. Again, no one wants anyone to get hurt, but if it's Alex Tuck who takes the puck to the face, then they're at 17, right? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 the one guy you didn't want to take the face for this kind of for this kind of reality of being at 15, he was the one who got hurt. Um, so in the moment, absolutely it's on them. I think... Well, I think everyone would agree, and I don't know if this is going to happen. If they go win the Cup, no one will remember this or care. But that's a long way down the road. That's you know, These playoffs last, what, two months if you win the Cup, I think. Um, but, yeah, in the moment, they have to look in the mirror and say, was it the right decision? I, I want to ask you, and we're going to play some cuts here, how – because here's the thing about Pete DeBoer, the coach. A lot of times coaches are the, in the realm of just tell me who I'm coaching and I'll coach them. Like, and I don't know how much, and I don't think anyone knows how much Pete DeBoer has input on this. I, I, we have no idea. Maybe he has a lot of input. Maybe he has no input, and he goes, just tell me who's on the ice. If it's the latter, and he had 15 last year or 15 last night in the most important game of the year, I think there's a reason we saw him after the game how we saw him. Yes. I mean, um, I, I, if if he has no input and they just this just happened and like, hey, Petey, uh, have a sandwich for lunch. We're getting fifty. Here's, I mean, <laughs> here is here is Pete DeBoer last night in the post game press conference, and this is, I believe, the third question of the press conference. Justin, hey, Pete, you you kind of talked about it, but one shot in the final ten minutes. I'm wondering, did you think the guys kind of hit a wall physically, or was it just Colorado making some adjustments and making good plays? No, I, I don't know. You know what? If you, if you guys want to talk about negatives tonight, you go ahead. I, I don't have any for you. Next question goes to Brian Blessing, the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Hi, Brian. Hey, Pete, uh, the, the little things do make a difference, though. On Comfer's goal, it seemed like uh, maybe you got caught on a line change and we're chasing the play there a little bit. Next question. Next question. Pete, thanks for the time tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Which still remains the all-time greatest line of any press conference. <laughs> Pete, thanks for the time. And, and it usually it's Pete, thanks for the time, and all the questions have been answered, and there's no questions in the queue. It's like, hey, Pete, thanks for the time. Last night, I'd love to know if there were more questions in the there queue and, mean, and who was going to ask them. That was the third and fourth question. There had to have been more. There had to be. The, there had to be. As someone who's had to cut his sound before, the like eighth or ninth question normally in his Press conferences is where the inanity like seeps right. in to those press conferences. We we didn't even get to the inane questions. Like no, hey and Pete, I don't. How do you feel about the helmets? I mean, I know he was. I mean, I, you know, frustrated, upset, and look. Don't worry, don't worry out there. If you're Golden Knights fans, my Kings will take care of Calderon and oh one of the two. It'll oh happen. Boy. It'll happen. So it's not even like this is over yet. I mean, and. I do think, I mean, Colorado might win out, but I don't think it's as easy. Everyone's like, oh, they're just going to go home and win two games. It's never that easy, especially in back-to-backs. So he was obviously upset, um, and it could have been as easily as you said. He's upset at management because he had 15. Um, I, you know, you have to know what's coming. I mean, you skated 15 guys, like you said, and it happened for the first time in a decade. I'm sure he walked in there and knew exactly what the questions were going to be. I mean, what else would you ask at well, that? That's the part that's I mean, fascinating. He knew. Is they, they lost 
the biggest game of the season. Like they lost control of their own destiny, destiny right. in, in as far as playoff seating goes. And he was, he wanted questions about how hard they played. Like that, that's fascinating to me. And, and sure they played, they played hard. hard. Yeah. They 15 skaters. They, they outplayed Colorado Absolutely. from a shots and chances standpoint. There's no doubt about that, but you don't like, he wanted a moral victory parade last night and hell Alex Petrangelo brought it up too. When he talked to the media post game as well. And it's like, this team is supposed to win the Stanley cup. Like you don't, you don't get a moral victory because you lost to Colorado, but you happen to be shorthanded by your own doing, by the way, like you don't, you don't get a moral victory for that. Like you lost the biggest game of the season. You're going to have to answer questions about why you lost the biggest game of the season. They, they gave up the game winning goal on a bad lines change. He's being asked about that line change. They had one shot on goal in the last 10 and a half minutes. That's not good enough from a team that's supposed to be winning the Stanley cup. Even if you have 15 skaters, you're going to be asked about it. That's the part that's fascinating to me. And also the other side of this, as far as like handling the media for the golden Knights, 45 minutes before that game starts, Kelly McCrimmon had a press conference. I don't know that Kelly McCrimmon has ever done a press conference less than an hour before a game was scheduled to start. Well, I don't think he's ever done a press conference where you don't have a day notice, right? That too. I, I mean, mean, it was, it like, was like a five minute notice yeah. for when that press conference started. And I, here's my hypothesis here. Pete DeBoer didn't want to answer any questions about why he just played a game with 15 skaters in the post-game press conference. So he told Kelly McCrimmon, you need to go answer these questions. Oh, you think so? Like, cause I mean, hell Pete DeBoer didn't want to answer questions about the actual game. Like imagine last night, if McCrimmon hadn't done that press conference, post-game press conference, everybody's asking Pete DeBoer, why the hell did you have 15 skaters on the ice? And Pete DeBoer would be like, well, it's not me. I'm not the one controlling the roster. I like, I wonder if Pete DeBoer told Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, Hey, you guys are going to make me play with 15 skaters, but you're not going to make me answer the questions about why we're playing with 15 skaters. One of you needs to do that instead. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's okay. I mean, it was strange. We're all sitting in the press box and someone yells out McCrimmon and five. And then <laughs> I was like looking around going, what? Um, it was interesting earlier in the day on his, on his media availability, when he brought up Peyton Krebs, he said there'll be an update later. Which also never happened. Which was, I mean, that he that he even admitted that Peyton Krebs was hurt was like, oh, my God, he just admitted he was hurt, <laughs> even though we saw him, like, being carried off the ice with a broken jaw. Um, so that was strange. And it was really funny because I was sitting there with Ben Goetz, who's going to be with us at 730. I'm like, I go, well, did you ever see an update? Because, like, you know, where's the update? Because it's pretty ominous. You know it wasn't going to be good. Right. Anytime a coach says we're going to have an update, it's not like he's playing tonight. Um, and Ben's like, no. And, like, two minutes later, Kelly and five. And it's like okay, is this the update? And, you know, it, it, they said they'll give an update on Peyton Krebs and talk about tonight's game. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, he's going to explain why they're short. I mean, there's no other reason. So whether Pete told him that, I have no idea. I don't know. Like I said, I don't even know what the percentages that Pete DeBoer is, um, is you know, uh, talked about or asked about these about all the changes you're making the salary cap. He might have every item input. He might have none. He might not want any. He might, like, just say, I'm the coach. But it didn't work out for them last night. And 15, like we said, is an absurd number, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But if they win the cup, no one will care. I don't actually blame the front office overall. Like, I like they definitely cost them the game last night. But I think the gamble they took was the smart gamble to take. Because when this year started, they were basically guaranteed a playoff spot. Given how good their team is and given how bad this division was. We all, we all knew it before the season started that the Golden Knights were essentially guaranteed a playoff spot. So the gamble they took was, okay, throughout the course of the season, 
if we have some injuries, we're going to play with 17 skaters. And I don't think they plan on playing with 15, but throughout the course of the season, we're going to play down a skater every now and then because this team, like the golden Knights plan is effectively to build a team that's over the salary cap. Like that was, that's basically well, what once they, they signed Petrangelo, they knew, but once you're in the playoffs, you can have a team that's yeah. over the salary yeah. cap. None of that matters anymore. So this season, the regular season doesn't matter. The playoffs matter. So if you can have a effectively like an illegal team when the playoffs get here because you're over the salary yeah. cap, you Good absolutely you. should because that's what matters for this team. I think it's a worthwhile gamble. They ended up going three, five, and one in right. games where they were where they didn't have well, they a were full short. eighteen skaters. Yeah. They were going to do one more on Wednesday too, by the way. But three, five, and one. So you can look back and say it cost them the division. Uh, so they they sort of lost a little bit on that gamble because maybe they win if they just have eighteen skaters for every single game. But I think it's a worthwhile gamble because once the regular season ends, once we get to the playoffs, they can call up whoever they want. Like it's they, there's not going to be a worry of oh we're no. going over the salary cap. You can call up Cody Glass if you need him. You can call up yeah. uh, anybody you want if you need him as long as they're healthy. So I think it's a worthwhile gamble based on the situation of this team. It's, it, it wasn't like they were ever going to be fighting for a playoff spot in the last week of the season. That was never going to happen. That's why we had to pause for just a little chuckle when Kelly said we were in a really tough division. Like, <laughs> eh, what? <laughs> there's uh, one other really there's good team. There's one other really good team. There's a, a decent team. And then garbage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a whole bunch of it. Maybe he meant Honda's. Hondas are really tough. Yeah, he might have meant the 20, 2022 version of the uh, the minivan. They don't get to hang it. Not you. Well, it's not over. Uh, well, it's right. not over. Let's see. Uh, Money pucks playoff odds last night before the game. Got, uh, the Golden Knights had a seventy one percent chance to win, to the, win division? the division. Now it is sixty eight point three for Colorado. All right. So a flip from seventy one to sixty eight for Colorado. Man, <sighs> Money Puck would be a much better name for this show. Yeah, um, that would be. It would be interesting, not interesting, but if they go, because they're obviously going to be tired even tomorrow night, if they just make up, the, if they if they finish it off just by losing to San Jose. <laughs> and, then, and then everyone's like, well, all right, you lost it. I mean, I you know, who knows? I mean, San Jose could win 4 nothing last night. I mean, their heads aren't obviously in it. They're done. So. They should play San Jose with 12 skaters, and I bet they win. That'd be tough, yeah. Nah, it's the Sharks. Sharks They'd win bad. with 12? Yeah, probably. <laughs> They'd probably beat everybody but Colorado and Minnesota in this division with 12. <laughs> as long as Mark Stone is one of those 12, they'll be fine. All right, coming up next, Tim Tebow's back. We'll just keep doing what our job is. We're going to try to get better as a football team individually and collectively, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we think is best for a football team. So, I don't know. We'll see. He's a talented guy. He's smart, works hard. You know, we've all seen him play. He can do a lot of things. We've seen that. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. All right, I'm going to pull up Pete DeBoer. Jared, you're going to have to explain to the people what that sound was. I believe that was Bill Belichick responding to questions about Tim Tebow making the Patriots, I want to say, in 2015. All right. So five, six, seven-year-old sound, something like that. Well, the last time he was on a professional football team. Yeah, well, he can go back to SEC Network. He's played baseball since then. So He's retired from baseball <laughs> since then. So the Jaguars are planning to sign Tim Tebow to a one-year deal, according to Ian Rappaport. 
It won't be done until next week because I guess his contract is very complicated to figure out. Um, but he's going to be oh a tight God. end. Does he still get to do the SEC network? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it would take so long to sign a tight end, an undrafted tight end, a practice squad tight end to a hey, contract. He was drafted in the first round. That is true. He was drafted, but not. Does that still count? He's technically undrafted at this point. Uh, so is Tim Tebow going to make this team, Ed? I don't think he will. You don't, don't think so? I don't think so. I don't think he will. Can I, I can, wait? Can I name you the Jaguar tight ends before you continue? Ooh. Jason Witten. <laughs> okay. Who, uh, right now, who would you rather have, Jason Witten or Tim Tebow? Jason Witten. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He's played that position yes. before. <laughs> he knows how to. Like at the very least, at one point we were joking, but it was kind of serious. You could put Jason Witten at the end of the offensive line, and you'd be like, at least he can block. Yeah. These are the Jaguars' tight ends, though. Chris Manhurts, James O'Shaughnessy, and Luke oh. Farrell. Ooh, Luke Farrell. It's the only <laughs> one I remember of those three. Oh, um, no. Tim, Tim Tebow's making this team. I don't think he is. He's Chris Manhurts. <laughs> you think he makes it? O'Shaughnessy is the guy they give you free in Madden. <laughs> Tebow is making this team. I don't know. I... If him and Matt Asiata are the two guys that way, they're like, here you go, Urban, work this out. I mean, it's uh, the, the he obviously there's a love affair. He loves this guy more than anything Urban does, and and that's obviously been well the case since he was at Florida. Um, I mean, you know, you got to get handed to Tebow. He's one of the few not arrested on that team, but um, <laughs> I, th- <laughs> but they won, so it's okay. Uh, if you need. Look, look, here's the thing. You're not obviously signing him. I wouldn't think. I mean, Urban knows football as well as anyone. You're not obviously signing him to play a position he's never played because I can't believe you think he's going to be a difference. So what is it? Are you bringing him in because you think he's going to be like this leader in the locker room or this guy that people can follow? I don't know. It can't be because, oh, I think he's going to be a great tight end. Um, <laughs> and if you need that, even if, if you need that, I think you have bigger problems than you already do. If you really are saying we're getting Tim Tebow for what he can do in the locker room, You've got bigger problems than you are to do. Not that he's not like this great guy or anything, but it's like you're gonna you're gonna take up a roster spot for a guy who's good in the locker room in the NFL. So Ed, you're saying you don't believe that they need to change the culture? Oh, I love the culture. Don't get me started on culture. I love the culture. Got to change the culture. Got to change the culture. Okay, why don't you win? There's your change of culture. Here's my my problem with it. I mean, if, Ur- if anybody if anybody's change of culture is why don't we win and ignore all the problems? It's Urban Meyer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. My my issue with it is if you're if you're evaluating Urban Meyer, he's bringing in a guy that used to play quarterback for him to try out as a tight end, and it's all because Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow are friends. Oh yeah, like no, it's it. that that screams of John Gruden right. hiring his friends to be assistant yeah. coaches. That screams of John Gruden bringing in Jason Witten and Vontez Burfict because they're old veteran players. Yeah. Like, it just screams of you don't have any creativity. You don't know what players you need to be adding. You're just adding guys because they're your friends or you knew them yeah. 10 years ago. And that is not a good way to run a team. Name one other guy you'd bring in who's never played tight end to be tight end. Other than him. you know, Basketball because other, other than his relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. LeBron James. <laughs> other than his relationship with the guy, which right there makes it wrong 
because he's because you love him like he like he's his son to you but still that's not a reason then you know what put him on your staff right make him an assistant coach if he wants a job that badly or if he needs a job like Jared was saying I mean that guy could do TV the rest of his life and have a very comfortable life and be fine so but if he really has this itch to get back into football then you're now an assistant coach will pay you a lot of money watch film and coach yeah I mean, why are you a player it just makes no sense that's that's what I like. If you want Tebow around, yeah, that's, that's what around. you do. Because the, otherwise, it's you know what what are you doing with Tim Tebow? Because it, it, do you think it, he makes this team? Chris Manhurts, James O'Shaughnessy, and Luke Farrell. For now, you can bring other guys. It's not man. like they're running Darren Waller out there. It's not like they just drafted Kyle Pitts. Like those are their tight ends. I don't even know who those guys are. I thought I remembered Farrell, but maybe I'm thinking of Cleve Furl. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that name though. I, I mean, look. This is the other thing about it. We're all like laughing at it, which we should. But I sort of want to see it. Oh, he's catching a touchdown! Pass. I mean, I, don't you want to see it? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I want to see it. I, I think it'd be hilarious. There's no doubt. I want him as their starting tight end. There's no doubt. No. I want. I want Urban Meyer taking Trevor Lawrence out of the game inside the ten yard line oh. for the Tim Tebow package. Your your question was, do I think you would make it? And I said, no. If your question was, do you want him to make it? Absolutely. I absolutely. <laughs> who wouldn't want this guy in the team, like running up and down the field? Like, oh, there's Debo running, like running these tight end routes and stuff. Right. Because it's he's, just too bad the Raiders don't play these guys. Because he's much more interesting than Chris Manhurts, James O'Shaughnessy, yes, and Luke. He's Farrell. a great, Nobody it'd be a great story. It'd be hilarious. People. And I will probably draft him in fantasy to back up Kyle Pitts if he makes the team. What if Urban really took Lawrence out? That'd be hilarious. Oh, it'd be hilarious. You telling me he's not going to? You're telling me they get down to the two-yard line? And here's the thing about Tebow. To be a tight end, isn't he going to have to gain like 25 pounds? So you have this enormous person, like because it's Urban's son, like running these packages and he's like 260? How much is it? Wait, this guy can't go play. Can he play tight end in his sights? I know he's a big guy, but it's the NFL and you're playing tight end. That's a very usually a very big guy. Listen, listen. Jason Witten can do it at 40. Tim Tebow can do it at 33. (sighs) Tebow 33? Yeah, he's going to be nimble. He'll be 34 once the season starts. He's kind of old. I mean, he's been resting. He's been playing baseball. That's true. That's right. That's his, true. his knees are more like 28 than that 33. That is true. Baseball brought him back. Yeah. Baseball no, I mean, <laughs> slow bat speed, too. Oh, he, he didn't man. put out a lot of effort. That baseball career revitalized his football career. It extended it just, a few more years. I mean, he's competitive. I don't, I've, like, I've always had no problem with him, and, you know, people got into the whole release. I didn't care. He's, you know, he's... Treats people well. He seems like a nice guy. I just think it's a little crazy that that Urban. This and here's the thing, this is on Urban. Right, I have no problem with no Tim no Tebow problem with Tebow. Like, if you want to keep playing, someone's going to give you a job. Let's play tight yeah, end. Yeah, this is on Urban money. Meyer. Yeah. It's nothing to do with to Tebow. Me, the, yeah, it's all about Urban Meyer's roster building and just the way he's running yeah. an NFL organization. Of these guys are my friends. Let's bring them back. Right, but of all the guys to bring back, Percy Harvin has already come out and said, "I'd love to come back." <laughs> Percy Harvin was a functional <laughs> well, wide actually, receiver in the NFL. Hey, yeah. Tebow won a playoff game as a quarterback. Percy Harvin actually would come back in the position he knows how to play. Where this guy's coming back, it's like, where do I line up? Jerry. Uh, <laughs> he just said it. The I mean, position he knows how to play. Yeah, I mean, High school guy's... seniors right now have seen more Tim Tebow playoff wins than Raider playoff wins. Has I'm pretty sure like college, like oh, people with... Years. PhDs. No, no, it's only 18. Has they, Tim went the, Tebow, they went to the Super Bowl 18 years ago. Has Tim Tebow, I assume he's, yeah, he's a quarterback in high school, he's a quarterback in Florida. 
Has Tim Tebow ever lined up in any game in his life as a tight end? I uh, believe he preseason. That's what he was playing. No, he was playing fullback for the Patriots. But maybe they would have split him out one time in the preseason. I don't. I don't even. I don't I mean not that I would know every time he lined up for a snap. But it'd be great. The story would just get better and better if the guy's never even lined up at the position. Urban Meyer is going to try to turn him into Taysom Hill. So they're going to do. They're going to give him like. A package, snaps like a, a package at quarterback. Yep. Trevor Lawrence. Goes if you're down Lawrence, with an you're like, what clown show exactly. did I just roll exactly. into? Exactly. You're like, like I'm the on, number one overall. You're pick. sitting on the sideline <laughs> watching like, Tim like, what Tebow am I take snaps here? at 33. Oh no, you're what? You're, you're sitting on the sideline watching him get stuffed at the one yard line three times in a row, going, "Not my back." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like six foot nine. I'll just fall over the line. Why? Why am I not in the game? All right. Coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. Enjoy the go with Charmin. Up top for Makara. Point shot. Save. Rebound. Save. It's loose. Under Leonard. Where's the puck? It goes to the corner. And Marcia so clears the zone. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Ghost. Ben, good morning. How are you? Benjamin. Hey, not too bad, guys. Just uh, still trying to get the remaining residual adrenaline uh, out of my body. Uh, I think it's slowly kind of fading away, but uh, didn't really need too much coffee this morning. Uh, what was the weirdest part of last night? Kelly McCrimmon having a press conference an hour before the game, the Golden Knights playing with 15 skaters, or Pete DeBoer uh, basically shutting down two questions in the post-game press conference or being too negative? Definitely the Kelly McCrimmon uh, doing something or putting the team in a situation uh, so crazy where he felt compelled to have to explain (laughs) how before the biggest game of the season that, yeah, by the way, because we've been, you know, playing this, you know, big dance with the salary cap all year in the most important game of our season to date, the one where we can literally win a trophy that says we had the best regular season in the NHL. We're going to be three guys down. Just wanted you all to know that it's fine. No big deal. Peyton Krebs may have broken his job, but, you know, we're going to push forward from this. It was definitely that. Obviously, then the 15 skaters stems from that. And uh, I think Pete DeBoer, you know, kind of frustrated uh, press conference after the game stems from that, too. Because if I were him, I would also have been frustrated that I kind of, you know, pushed the right buttons for this team all year got it to a point where it could clinch the West division and president's trophy with still a game remaining left in the season, uh, only to realize I was going to have to figure out how to juggle uh, 10 forwards and five defensemen on my bench uh, against the other team vying for first place in that division and the president's trophy. So you might have just answered my question because we were talking uh, earlier in the show, and we don't know because obviously you know no one's inside or in, inside the room. What have you been able to do in, in figuring out covering Pete DeBoer? How much he's relied upon, or not relied upon, but asked about these decisions? Because if he was really mad last night after the game, specifically for what you're saying, that he's pissed off he only had 15 skaters, it kind of lends me to believe that he has no control of these decisions, and he just says, I'm the coach, let it go. Or do you think he they, they call him up and say, Pete, what do you think? I'm sure he has some input. I'm sure there's some collaboration there. But ultimately, the decision-making is, of course, with general manager Kelly McCrimmon and I'm sure president of hockey operations George McPhee is involved too. 
And so I'm sure they're the ones that probably approached Pete after Peyton Krebs' junior season was over. and was like, hey, we um, might want to get a look at this guy before the playoffs. Max Pacioretty is out, so uh, Krebs gives us at least some upside in terms of kind of a highly skilled guy that we can add to our lineup. And I'm sure it's a spot where they kind of approach Pete of like, hey, this is what we like to do. Are you down with it? And he probably said yes. And, of course, it was that specific scenario, calling up Peyton Krebs and being willing to go shorthanded for a couple games uh, that ultimately put the Knights uh, where they're at because, uh, as McCrimmon explained, uh, try to you know do it succinctly for uh, those of us that were still basically reading through the CBA before last <laughs> night's game to try to figure out exactly what the provisions applied here. Um, Krebs is the one guy that couldn't get hurt um, because they – aren't able to immediately replace him. So you get what they were doing. You kind of understand the logic behind their moves up to uh, Saturday, and they just got a really bad break. But, yeah, I don't think um, Pete DeBoer, you know, ultimately gets to make those decisions. I think he has input in those decisions. And, you know, you can understand why up until Saturday he was totally fine to play along. But uh, I don't think anyone would blame him for being frustrated with the uh, how everything ended up uh, turning out Monday after working, you know, this is 55 games basically to put themselves in that position only to have uh, that happen before the game. So they, they could still win the division, but it's not in their control. But the big picture gamble the Golden Knights took was to essentially build a team that was over the cap and that they would have to manage it the entire season, even if it meant playing some games uh, you know, without a full complement of skaters. I'm curious, what do you think of that gamble, given that once the playoffs are here, the salary cap's irrelevant, and you can have what's effectively an over-the-cap team competing in the playoffs? Yeah, so that part, obviously, I think if you're you know looking for the Golden Knights perspective, um, they're kind of probably fine with that gamble because they know when they ultimately get to the part of the season that they want to get to, the postseason, it's not going to matter. It's all out the window. And there's obviously other teams that have operated like that this season as well. I mean, Tampa Bay has had Nikita Kucherov on long-term injured reserve all year. So one of their best forwards hasn't played for them, but it helped them out with the salary cap. So they're like, we'll figure it out in the regular season that actually only finished third in their division. But if Tampa Bay all of a sudden gets Kucherov back, gets uh, their captain Steven Stamkos back for the playoffs, a lot of people are probably going to forget that they finished below the Panthers in the division standings if they make another run for a Stanley Cup. So, you know, obviously if you're the Knights, uh, like so many things it comes back to, the end certainly will justify the means if they go on a deep Stanley Cup run. Now, if uh, last night ends up costing them the division, they have to play Minnesota in the first round, and they get bounced because they don't match up particularly well with the Wild. Well, then I think you could obviously construct an argument that maybe it wasn't worth it. And uh, they really could have used uh, two extra points at some point there uh, down the road. And even uh, entering last night's game, their overall record was not good when they were playing uh, shorthanded. They had to play with less than a full complement of skaters. So I obviously see the logic behind what they did. I think uh, saying, you know what, we'll sacrifice some regular season games if it means that we're going to have a really good lineup for the playoffs makes a lot of sense, but we'll have to see how it ultimately turns out here because it still could kind of go either way. Uh, when you saw Leonard, uh, 
lead them out last night. That was the, uh, you know, before the uh, 15 skaters, that was obviously a huge storyline as to who's going to start because I think we all thought if he went to Flurry and he, he went away from the rotation, that was Flurry was going to be the playoff starter. Has that changed your mind now? I mean, and do you think, no matter who's in the first round, do you actually think there's a chance percentage-wise he will just continue the rotation? Even if, let's say, Flurry starts game one and shuts someone out. I mean, do you think he could actually do that? I don't believe that he could do that just because it never happens in NHL history. You have to go back so, so long into the past to uh, find the last team that was kind of rotating goalies on his way to a Stanley Cup. Last year was obviously like a very different um, kind of circumstance where there were some back-to-backs built in the playoffs. You'd assume the NHL would want to avoid that this year. I would have to think if you're Pete DeBoer, you're going to have to pick a guy and go with him. Now, maybe he bucks convention and tries to do it a different way, but um, part of me feels like in the postseason, you need to have a guy that knows that uh, he's, the team has his back, the coach has his back, everyone believes in him, and then he can go out and uh, do his job at the most difficult time of the year where, you know, it's kind of the old thing in football. If you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. You don't want to be rotating through those guys and kind of each giving them half of your belief um, heading into the playoffs because uh, the other team is going to be all in on their guy. And I think that just kind of, you know, makes it more wishy-washy, adds some confusion to the mix if you, you know, try a rotation. Maybe they try it for the first couple games and see if someone really pulls away. Who knows? Um, In terms of Leonard starting last night, I was surprised, especially based on what, um, DeBoer has done previously this year. The one time he went away from the rotation when both these guys were healthy was when the Knights were in Colorado, and it wasn't a back-to-back, but still he didn't uh, start Leonard either of those games because he called them afterwards the most important games of our year so far, and Flurry has earned the right to play in those games. Well, last night was certainly the most important game of the year so far. Flurry has been excellent down the stretch here. Leonard was coming off of back-to-back um, starts that were you know, not up to his own admittedly lofty previous standards. So I do think it was interesting that uh, Pete decided to basically extend this a little longer. I don't think it's necessarily um, indicative of what direction he's leaning that he started Leonard last night. I think just by continuing the rotation, that was him basically buying himself a little more time, a little bit of an extra sample size before ultimately – making the decision, and it really does seem like he doesn't want to have to make a decision until he really, really has to, and that will be, of course, game one of the playoffs. How healthy do you think this team is going to be for the playoffs, or are we looking at a playoff lineup that might have a a Tomas Jerko or Dylan Sakura in it? It's going to be really interesting to watch down the stretch here. Most of these injuries, when they first happened, you know, Pete DeBoer was, of course, like, hey, I'm not worried about it long term. We'll see him back for the playoffs. But, of course, most of those guys that he was referring to still aren't back in the lineup, and the playoffs are not that far away. Now, last night, the Golden Knights did their kind of end-of-the-season award stuff, and uh, Ryan Reeves was in the building and dressed so you could see him. Um, but uh, you did not see Alec Martinez. So you did not see Max Pacioretty. Uh, you did see Tomas Nosek, who was there, to give away his jersey. Whether that means anything, you know, who knows? That's but, as much as we get, uh, Ben. That's the that's the best injury reporting we get with this team. Exactly. So uh, certainly there's a lot of stuff still up in the air. Um, obviously, 
the way that uh, general manager Kelly McCrimmon talked before the game, it certainly didn't sound like he expected any of those guys back for the regular season finale against the San Jose Sharks. And uh, if they're not ready then, that obviously gives them a pretty short window to get ready for game one of the playoffs. Well, he has been Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thank Pete. Prickly Pete. No problem. Thank Pete. Prickly Pete. See you, Ben. (laughs) Prickly Prickly Pete. Pete. It's such a good name. It's a great name. It, like, we finally saw him. I, mean, I know, it's been so I wish, long. We I wanted to been, see him. I wish he'd been a little more prickly just so we could yeah. say Prickly Pete. Like, we talk about hockey nicknames. Prickly Pete's a good nickname. It's a great nickname. It's a good nickname. Like, it's, it's not an Petey. actual it, nickname. Yes, it's an actual nickname. Yes, yes. It's not just adding the Y. Yeah. Like, Petey. Petey. I mean, if you wanted him, you. I mean, the RJ should have just employed Shang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next question, Shang Ping from the Las Vegas Journal Review. Please go to your bosses and tell them you've got a guy. I got a guy. He's going to be great on the night. Exactly. (laughs) Let Dave and Ben cover it. He doesn't write anything. The other guy's not going to write anything. He's He's just just asking asking questions. questions. He's just asking questions. We're going to go viral. (laughs) The top of of, uh, Reddit hockey. Got to be this guy getting yelled at. All right. Coming up next. There's going to be a nightclub in one of the end zones of Allegiant Stadium. Everybody is on. So Allegiant Stadium, that's in Las Vegas. So why wouldn't there be a club behind one of the end zones during Raider games? There's going to be a club with DJs and bottle service. Uh, and I just, I love how opposite that this is from the black hole in Oakland in the Coliseum, because in Oakland, it was a like dirty stadium and just a crowd of crazy Raider fans <laughs> we that, took their team and you just, just that might tear their heads off. That might tear your heads off if you wore the wrong team's Jersey in there. And now in, a, in Vegas at Allegiant stadium, there's going to be a club, which completely stereotyping here. I'm assuming most people that go and watch a Raiders game from this club behind the end zone are not going to be that worried about what's happening in the actual game. Can we get Raiders.com's Cassie Soto just posted up in the club the entire game? I mean, I'm pretty sure she'd sign up for that job in a heartbeat. Well, you, you defined it correctly. I've been in the black hole and you were actually nice. So (laughs) very bizarre place. Um, You didn't mention the smell of urine once. So, (laughs) um, that I think that no, those are just done by stall guys on hay and then horses as they're peeing on hay. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, this is well, it is completely Vegas. I don't know if I can see the violator in there, like ordering champagne. That'd be a little weird. I mean, like it'd be if you're the violator at the club, then you probably shouldn't be at the club. Exactly. Uh, be interesting. To see, I mean, it's gonna cost a lot. I'm sure. I mean, it's not. I don't think this is like. I don't think this comes with your PSL. No. I think I think this is an addition to your PSL that you're going to be in this club. It even has like, did you see these pictures on the tweet? Like even like its own beautiful entrance with glass doors. I mean, you're you're going to pay a little little change for this thing. Well, right, and, and again, I imagine most people going to this are going to it to go to a club and not right. to watch a football right. game. Right. Like it's just they're not going to care don't about them, the game that's going on. Doesn't uh, don't the Miami Heat? Have a club inside their arena. That's Do they? Like, well, I thought I that think. was. It's I Miami. thought that was like the running joke was that everyone's in the club during the first two quarters. Yeah. 
And so they, like, don't come to their seats until halftime. <laughs> That's what this is going to be. It's going to be great. When uh, are they going to play this, like, this sound system? I, that's what I'm when curious is that about. Like, happen? there's a DJ in there. Are When's he going to be playing during the game? He can't play during the game. blasting music yeah. while it's third and 12? He can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, I mean, the LED screen, that's cool. The DJ, two, two DJ booths. I mean, how much are they playing in this when you can't really play? You can't play during the game. There's going to be, I mean, all I want is somebody to score a touchdown, jump into the club and just be yes, like, it'll be I'm phenomenal. not coming back. This it'll is be great. phenomenal. It'll be great. Like, can they put, can they put slot machines in Allegiant State? Like, they have to have a gaming license no, to do that, can, right? Yeah. Because I want nothing more than, like, somebody scores a touchdown, they pull out a $100 bill, put in a slot machine, and, that would and be awesome. pull the lever and see if they win. I mean, for years they were never coming here, and they came here. So yeah. the hypocritical NFL. Terrific can you, celebration. I totally forget this, and I know someone will tweet or text us. I forget. Do your I – assume, I assume your apps and your phone work inside the stadium, right? Why would I assume that? they? Okay, I thought like in the very beginning that was going to be a question. You know, obviously there wouldn't be betting, uh, betting booths set up or anything like that. Like in like in Wembley Stadium, it's, it's it, hilarious. Yeah. You can make your bet before I went to a premier game, and you can make your bet like right near your seat. It's a joke. They're like, we don't care, just yeah. bet on anything. Yeah, like Wimbledon, I, there are guys who will run. Yeah, you. They'll, <laughs> exactly. They'll make the bets for you. In London, they don't care. So. But I guess it works. I, I, I thought in the beginning that was going to be a big question. Maybe it was in the very beginning. It's like, no, when you're in there, you won't be able to do that from your seat. But I think I now mean, maybe you probably can. They can geolock it, so maybe. But I, I mean, I don't know why stupid. they would. It's, yeah. I think it's stupid. Like, what do they think? You're going to be sitting in I, section 12, yeah. row 17, yelling yeah. at Josh Jacobs. I had you to <laughs> score a touchdown on that drive. It's in game, Johnny. It's in game, Johnny. I mean, I would love that. I would love that chance somehow erupting of wrong guy. <laughs> yes, the the slot machines would be great. And I mean, are you really taking it to a much of a different level at this point? No, I mean, not it's at all. like it's not like you're like making some huge leap with all this other stuff just to throw in a machine well, there. If you're gonna geolock it, who's the official gaming partner of the Las Vegas Raiders? All of them, aren't they? Don't they have Caesar energy? I mean, I don't think they're geolocked. I thought, like, in the beginning, when, when they first came to Vegas, it was such a huge deal because they're such hypocrites all those years. We're never coming to gambling, and they, their entire league's about gambling. And it might have been, like, early stories. And I was like, well, are you going to be able to bet inside the state? Like, they were trying to make excuses for it, which, like, this is a joke, so I'm sure you can. Uh, I mean, I know the apps when I cross that California line don't work anymore, but... That's that, you get geo locked right when you pass that line. It's a state line. That doesn't work. So we, we got to get him on some VPNs. MGM and Caesars are both um, official sponsors of the Raiders, and Win obviously has well, this nightclub. Yeah. So all of them, all of the casinos are sponsoring. The they Raiders. don't have to geo lock it at right. all. It'll be great. Um, I would love the lights to have like an exclusive partner and just be like, no, all the apps are geo locked except this one. I am excited for a player down injured. The entire crowd is silent because it's a serious injury. And all we hear from behind the end zone is shot, 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 yes. shot, shot, <laughs> shot, shot. I was looking around, what? In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate, and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. 
And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Has Bob Baffert ever lied in his life before? You mean other than the 30 times his courses got caught for juicing? Well, the excuses he's come up with, it's like he's a five-year-old trying to explain to his parents how a, how a toy got broken yeah. or something. Like he said yesterday that a test issue was created because one of his staff members peed in the stall next to the horse that was going to run in the Kentucky Derby and that that guy had been taking cough medicine and that could have contaminated the test. Like, that's the worst lie I've ever heard in my life. It's it's sort of genius in that he didn't stop with just the guy taking a leak. Like, he had to explain that within that urine existed cough medicine to put the steroid in the horse. Like, he didn't, he couldn't just stay with, like, he, he, he urinated in the stall, right? Because then people are like, well, what's that really have to do with it? He had to add the fact there might have been cough medicine mixed <laughs> into it. So, this guy's a genius, man. He's, he's, um, he's a genius. Okay, but at the same time, how much cough medicine would you need to be on that yeah. a significant amount comes out in your urine that it then can it yeah. still affect? It's not diluted at all. I mean, like, are you kidding me? There's so many problems that lie. First off, that you are the most successful horse trainer in history. Kentucky Derby history, <laughs> and that you have a guy working for you that just pees well, on that's the your hay. Thing. Not only that, he he. that's where you stop. It's like, not the cough medicine. You hire people who can't go to the bathroom? Right. This guy pees on the hay that your horse is going to eat? Like, first off, what are you doing? Second off, the idea that he, like, the idea that this guy during a pandemic would show up while taking cough medicine, because he has a cough, we would presume, or in a pandemic, uh -huh. if you got a cough, you probably shouldn't be showing up to work. Tyler, and he third, was just sipping on some scissor. And third, how the hell did he? How the hell does he know that guy peed and was taking cough yeah. medicine? Does he know yeah. every employee is taking cough medicine or not? And does he know where every employee pees? And not only that, let's say he did do it, right? Which is very bizarre. Like, I would think, God, I'm going way overboard. This is weird. It hits the hay. I would assume it evaporates the hay at some point in the hay strong. Was the horse standing over this guy as he's as he's pissing on the hay? Right and then he away. eats right away? <laughs> right because away. if it was even like a five-minute interval, one way you that, 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 word, that cough man. medicine would go away. And it would seep. It, uh, this show's off the rails. The urine would seep <laughs> into the hay. So unless this Medina or whatever this horse is called that won the Kentucky Derby, unless he's standing right over the guy, yeah. I don't agree with I don't believe this is the excuse. Okay. He has enough institutional control that he knows where they're peeing yes, and what medicine by the way, they're on. It's in, he said it's in the other stall. There's a lot of hay. The horse <laughs> had to walk over to the other stall. Do you think he doesn't have his own hay, this horse? He's the Kentucky Derby winner. He should have everything he ever wanted in oh life. Oh, God. What if this is how he's been cheating all these years? Is he's like, all right, you guys. Yeah, who's peeing today? Yeah. Who's peeing right. today? I need you to get all, all wacky on the cough syrup. Don't forget your cough syrup. Jeez. I mean, in a way, I'd probably, like, 
let him be in the Preakness because I'll be like, that's such an outrageous lie. Sure. And it's so create creative. Like, go ahead. Like, you didn't just say, I don't know how you did it. You actually came up with the reason of someone peeing in your hay with cough medicine. That's kind of ingenious, actually. I kind of would that's, give him the benefit of the doubt. That's also the lie that your friend tells, like, that your friend's like, all right, so this is what we're telling my wife. And you go, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yes, and yes. Then they, you're like, you pee and I'll eat the hay because we were really drunk. God. Next question. Russell Westbrook broke Oscar Robertson's record for career triple doubles last night. 182 triple doubles for Russell Westbrook. It was last week that you said somebody described him as what? The best uh, inefficient player? Yeah. yeah best inefficient player in the he's league. He's phenomenal. I know his, his numbers over the last like 10 or 15 games have been like 28 points, 15 assists, 20 rebounds. What did he have? No. 21 assists last yeah, night? Yeah, he's... I mean, he's insanely talented, and that, and that's the thing about him. A lot of people, you know, whatever they think about Russell Westbrook, when you average a triple-double and you're getting that many rebounds, you're obviously playing really hard. And people said, look, I didn't see Oscar Robertson play. We talked about this yesterday. I don't know what quantified as an assist back then comparative to now. You've always heard that about Stockton in terms of his assist. You know, it was almost like a hockey secondary assist. Oh, give John assist because he can break Magic's record, whatever. So I don't know in terms of Oscar Robertson's time to now, I just know when you break a record like that and you're getting that many triple doubles, then you're a hell of a player. Yeah, there's nothing else to say. When you're like, like last night, he had 21 assists. Yeah. When you get 21 assists yeah. in a game, that's absurd to have 21 assists. Well, even game. if it's the Stockton thing where they gave him like a few else, okay, then he got 18. Yeah, then, that's yeah. still ridiculous. It's absurd how many assists he had last night and how many he's been averaging lately to get to this triple double record. Like we, it's, it's a, like I, the triple doubles, whatever, been devalued. I think it's a cool record to break. I, I oh, still yeah. think it's phenomenal. And why not? Yeah, I, I think what Westbrook has done. He's a fun player to watch. He might not be the best player to build around to win a title, but he's an incredibly Amazing. fun player to watch. We we do have an update from uh, Cardio Pops Ramirez. You can make bets inside T-Mobile during NHL games, as there have been some quotes uh, who who did so from the uh, Sky Lounge and went crazy about it. Can't imagine Allegiant will be different. They will have betting so. Makes sense. Why wouldn't you? I know. It's Las Vegas. I know. Better way, man. Better way. Great question. The Las Vegas Aces have four of the top 25 players in the WNBA. ESPN.com ranks the top 25 players in the WNBA. Asia Wilson came in at second. Liz Cambage <laughs> at 10th. Chelsea Gray at 20th. And Angel McCautry at 22. The update on Angel McCautry, though, is that she tore her ACL and is out for the season. So the Aces actually only have three of the top 25 players now at this point. But Asia Wilson won the MVP last year, but didn't get named the best player in the WNBA going into this season. The disrespect. The chip is back on the shoulder. Well, and Brianna Stewart did get in rate, uh, ranked number one. I mean, she came back from that Achilles and was amazing last year, but yeah. I mean, you'd think Asia would kind of take that top spot, although Brianna Stewart won the title. So. She was the best player in the finals last year. Who? Stewart. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it wasn't particularly yeah. Yeah. close. Yeah, she was, the, the Aces could not guard her whatsoever. Like, she was so much better in that series than anybody else on the floor that you made it look, you look back and say, how the hell did she not win MVP? Right. Like, Asia Wilson was good. Brianna Stewart right. was yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable in that finals. Next question The Oklahoma City Thunder have been outscored by 490 points over the last 25 games. That is the largest margin of defeat for any team in NBA history over the course of 25 games. And they are still 
five games ahead of the Rockets for the worst record of the NBA. God, that's amazing. <laughs> I love tanking so much. It is so phenomenal that you can have a team like the Thunder get beat worse than any team in history over a 25-game span, and they're still not the worst they're team. Five in the, in the games about the Rockets. Rockets' only silver lining is Christopher Wood. It is. What he's if the really... Rockets lose like 20 games in a row or something yeah, like he's, that? He's... Like Chris Wood got hurt. Yeah. And the Rockets didn't yeah. win a game for like two Chris months. Wood was the only guy silver lined. Billy Donovan, uh, he's almost in a playoff spot. He's probably glad he got out of there. <laughs> Man, you know, that's a great question. Probably. <laughs> Eric Fisher. Signed with the Colts, a one-year deal worth $9.4 million. He was Chiefs uh, tackle last year, got hurt in what was it, the AFC Championship game. Uh, might be the reason why the Chiefs did not win the Super Bowl. Uh, he might not be able to actually play until October. But what do you make of that signing? The Colts were kind of like the Raiders. They needed an offensive tackle going into the draft. The Colts did not draft one. But now they have Eric Fisher, who will conceivably be their starter at some point during this next yeah, season. That's a lot of money for, as you said, a guy who might not play till yeah. October. Yeah. Like, if he was fully healthy, it's Eric Fisher. I, I'm fine with it, but almost $10 million, and you're not even sure when he's going to play? Yeah, it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a guy like that. Um, if he is healthy, there's a good chance no, he's, he's a really good offensive really lineman, good. And, and the Colts have a great tackle joining their team at some yeah. point uh, for the second half, maybe earlier than that part of the season. Uh, but again, you're counting on a guy being healthy. Who how old Eric Fisher's in his what mid 30s, early 30s? Yeah, he was a number one pick a long time ago. Yeah, so I believe he's only 31. Early 30s, eh, it's old. 31 it's, it's with football. bad injuries. Eh, it's football, and he only became good like three seasons ago. <laughs> he's younger than Tim Tebow. Should have signed Tim Tebow to play left tackle. What if Tebow fails at like tight end? Urban's like, but he can play right tackle. We're going to keep him for that. He just keeps putting him in yeah. that position. Kim, you got to wait. Now, instead of 30 pounds, you got to gain 65. How about linebacker, Tebow? Can you tackle? Vic Veramonte. I'm out. <laughs> Vegas Vic. Vegas Vic. The Mariners are expected to call up Jared Kelnick on Thursday. So Jared Kelnick is a top five prospect in all of baseball. But what's more interesting about Jared Kelnick is he is the Mariner that complained about the Mariners manipulating his service time. It's and like the not, Chris Bryant rule. Yes, not having him up earlier because in Major League Baseball, if you wait so long to call up a rookie in his first season, you get an extra year mm -hmm. added on to their end of their contract or arbitration rights, I guess is technically what it is. So I think it's now 2027 because the Mariners waited until now to call him up. I believe Kelnick cannot become a free agent until after the 2027 season. Whereas, uh, had he started the year with the Mariners, he could have been a free agent after the 2026. Season. I mean, we figured it out, right? Why they're calling him a Thursday? Who are they you playing? know why? Because the next two nights they're at the Dodgers. Oh, you don't yeah. want this guy coming up and stri striking out That's his first right. six times. You got to call him up against a bad team, <laughs> so he makes sure he gets some hits, gets yeah. the confidence up. <laughs> you can't call him up against these guys. Walker Bueller, <laughs> come on, you have no chance. Pinch hit against Kenley Jansen. <laughs> hey, that's gonna be his debut. I, I said it with the Cubs as well. I'm sorry. If you don't like the rule, change the rule. Yeah, if I'm them, I keep guys down. Why, why wouldn't I want an extra year with this guy if he's like a top five prospect? Well, right, especially when you're. I mean. When you're the Mariners and and you're not actually like a playoff contender, yeah. I mean technically I think they're in second place right now in the division, but they always not, are in yeah, May. They're not they, every every year. They're not an actual playoff contender. 
who cares if Kelnick plays for the first month of the season yes. or not? Like, it's it's completely irrelevant. Of course, that's what you do as an organization. Now, sure. teams are getting looked down on for doing it because it it is a crappy move, but it's legal. There's it's nothing legal. against the rules, and until it changes, as an organization, you absolutely should. Yeah, because, absolutely. again, this guy's a top-five prospect. If he works out, they get an extra year of him being a really good baseball was, player before he gets free Scott agency. Boris used to go crazy about Chris Bryant. Too bad. Yeah. What they do. I mean, the, the Astros did it with George Springer, and yeah. that might be part of the reason Sorry. George Springer left is because he was he was he never really came out and blasted him like J- Jared Kelnick came out and was like, "This is a bunch of crap." But supposedly George Springer wasn't happy the Astros did that to him and made him a free agent when he was like 31 right. instead of 29 or 30. Yeah. So it. But if you're a baseball team, you're kind of stupid not to do it. All right, coming up next, Casey Hayward. Oh, he's cheaper than Jeff Heath. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Casey Hayward, the Raiders' most recent defensive back signee. The details on his contract are a one-year deal with $2.5 million guaranteed. He can make up to $4 million maximum with bonuses. They released Jeff Heath around the same time they signed Hayward. Uh, Heath's contract was a a little over $3 million that they saved against the cap. So they basically traded out Jeff Heath for Casey Hayward. Um, All right. I want to ask you something about uh, what Vic Tafer wrote yesterday because he wrote about Casey Hayward. And his story was about how Casey Hayward can make a difference on the Raiders, even if he doesn't end up as a starting cornerback for this team. So does Casey Hayward start for the Raiders or not? I do think he starts. I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as to, he doesn't have to start to make an impact. It goes back to, again, is the insinuation here that if he doesn't start, he can make an impact with younger guys in the locker room. So yeah, yes. I think that's, I think Jason Witten for the defense. I think that's overblown. Yeah. I do. I, I really do. I, I they're all per, the culture. They're, well, they're all professionals. Look, Jared, we're talking about Raiders, not UNLV. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I if if look, they're all professionals. I know Arnett, second year, whatever. It's like if you're good enough playing, if you're not, don't. It's the NFL. I don't know if you need Casey Hayward. I hope I hope you don't need Casey Hayward to be that guy if he can't start. He needs to be good enough to start. I think he's gonna start. But if that's like if that was the reasoning behind he doesn't need to play to make an impact, then don't sign the guy. He has to play. You have to get better yeah. defensively. You need good players. Yeah. If Casey Hayward doesn't start, I'm I'm very curious as to what exactly happened. Because right. Damon Arnett was really bad last season. Like he A wasn't healthy half the season, but when he was healthy, was a terrible cornerback. And like Pro Football Focus had him as like one of the bottom three cornerbacks in football. And Trayvon Mullen, the other cornerback they're planning on starting, I think Pro Football Focus had him as the 80th best cornerback in football last year. Like, people are more optimistic about Trayvon Mullen, but it's not like he's been good yet. Like, it's more about potential of will Trayvon Mullen become a good cornerback. But he hasn't been good yet. And so for, for Casey Hayward, every single season Casey Hayward has played in the NFL has been better than what Arnett and Mullen right. have shown this year or in their short career. So if Casey Hayward isn't starting for the Raiders, 
what happened? Like, either Arnett and Mullen both got really, really good, or Casey Hayward is is just over the hill, completely washed, and and can't play football. If if Casey Hayward can't beat out Arnett and Mullen, that's a terrible signing, and they just lit two and a half million dollars. That's the fire. thing; he has to start. Yeah. He has to play. And even beyond Arnett and Mullen, they don't really have a starting slot corner at the moment. Like what Nevin Lawson right now might be that guy, or. Amik Robertson, uh, the guy they drafted last year. So if he's not even at least starting in the slot corner position, I listen, the Raiders defensive backs might've been the worst in football last season. Might've been, they got one new starter for sure with Trevon Morick, the guy they drafted yeah, in the second starting. round. They got one new starter for sure. They're rolling in here with Jonathan Abram. Maybe Carl Joseph can take his spot, but they're rolling in here with the same strong safety they had last year in Jonathan Abram. And if Casey Hayward doesn't start, they're rolling with the same cornerbacks that they had last year. So they have one of the worst defensive back groups in the NFL last year. And if Hayward's not starting, they changed one guy. That's that's just bad front office. That's a bad offseason if you're the Raiders. So I can't imagine Casey Hayward's not starting. I actually think if he starts and he plays well, then that's a that's a fine contract for him. That's oh, good. It's, There's that's, no, it's yeah. a great contract. If he doesn't start, then there's a major, major issue. Uh but I'll go back to my original point. I just don't – I never liked the insinuation that we're going to pay him anything. He's a veteran. He should be good. He should start. And if he doesn't, it'll be okay because he'll teach the young guys how to play. <laughs> this It's not like high school. Like, you know, It's the NFL. It's like the whole Tebow thing. Like These guys are all pros. They're all men. They're all professionals. If you're good enough, you play. If you don't, you don't. That It's a cutthroat league. So if you signed him and you've been that bad defensively, he has to, he has to start. Yeah. And if he isn't, like, what's going on? Yeah. Because I'll tell you what, the guys – I'm not saying they can't improve or be better, but you can't tell me that what you saw last year, no matter what they've done in the offseason, these guys are going to be better than him. Right. And regardless of— no way. Like, and even the idea that Gus Bradley's system is going to be better for them, Casey Hayward's played in that system. He's been in that system. Like, I'd have to imagine Gus Bradley's system is going to be better for him than it is yes, for Yes, he'll know right away what to do. Yeah. So I, it's, it's fascinating to me, the idea that Casey Hayward wouldn't start. And it's— do you think it goes back to, like, let's say we we get into week one and Arnett and Mullen are starting and Hayward's coming off the sideline, off the not playing much. Does it go back to John Gruden not wanting to admit they made bad draft picks? Like, does that what this comes back to? Is that they won't replace the guys that they drafted early on yet because they don't want to admit they I were mean, bad picks? I hope not because then I'm going to question how much power, you know, uh, Gus Bradley has with his own <laughs> defense. I mean, if you bring Gus Bradley in to change the entire defense and to make you better at something you're awful at, you need to let him, at least in the beginning, do what he wants. Now, again, if they're 0-6 and they can't stop anybody, then maybe if you're the head coach, you're like, look, we got to change things, much like he did with Gunther eventually and then fired Gunther. But I would hope on, you know, kicking off the season, and we'll find out tomorrow who they're kicking off against, Gus Bradley's controlling the defense. I hope so. I mean, you would hope so. Why'd you bring him in? And I can't I can't imagine Bradley has uh, watched much video from last year and thought, oh, man, I can make these guys work. No. I can't imagine he's watched a lot of that and thought, oh, yeah, this is going to work out well for us. So uh, the the leadership thing is bizarre. Just, I think that's so overblown. The, the fact that, like, listen, we, talk, we, we joked about it, but. With Casey Hayward and Carl Joseph, the Raiders, what what was it, six guys that are in the defensive backfield that were taken in the top two rounds right. of the NFL draft? Obviously, Hayward and Carl right. Joseph were a while ago. But you're talking about a lot of guys that were taken early in that draft, and we're sitting here not sure if any of them are good. Like, okay. we're, we're expecting Morig to be the best defensive back 
guy on this team, right? Yeah. Like hasn't played a snap. Like that's like he's the one with the most upside because we haven't seen him fail right. yet. And hasn't played a snap. Casey Hayward probably has the second most upside because we actually have seen him play well in the NFL. Granted, it was two years ago and not last year, but like it's it's you're looking at the defense and how are they going to improve if they can't cover anybody? Yannick Ngakwe can only do so much. Like even if Ngakwe has 12 Career sacks year. this year, yeah. Like even if he's awesome, if if Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen can't cover anybody, it, it's not going to matter. Like you're still going to give up a ton of points and a ton of yards, and we're still going to be talking about games where Ryan Fitzpatrick completes a pass with five seconds left down the sideline to get him into field goal range to kick a game-winning field. Goal. That's still going to. We're still going to be talking about Jonathan Abram vacating. Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field so that they give up a game-winning touchdown to the Chiefs. They're going to have to be so good up front. If you look at all of Gus Bradley's stops, he had incredible, right? He had incredible defensive linemen. You know, some Hall of Famers or eventual Hall of Famers. If they're not really, really good up front, it's. I think they're in trouble unless because because I just don't believe they're going to be able to cover people. Now maybe I'm wrong and Morgan's great and he's a rookie though and Casey Hayward comes in as great, but. They better be really good up front. And that's what Gus Bradley's entire system is built on, to be really good up front, and then you kind of protect the guys in the back. But if they're if they're just average up front, this couldn't this might not be good again. Well, I mean, and it, you can even invert it. If they're really good in the back end, that gives the front time to right. actually get right. there. If no one's I just open, don't I just but, don't know if they can be good in the back end. No, yeah. Like there, no, there's no, yeah. there's a chance they're good up front. I, no, there's a chance I don't of think that. they're gonna be that I don't think they're gonna be that good. But there's a chance yeah. like there's a chance in Gakway's sure. awesome. There's a chance all the defensive tackles they brought in that two are good work out or yeah. something. I don't know that there's a chance the defensive backs are good. Like I you look at it and we're talking about again a rookie who hasn't played, you're hoping he saves the safeties and you're talking about Casey Hayward who wasn't good last year saving the cornerbacks and yet you still in that realm he has to start. Absolutely. So and in that case, you know, Nevin Lawson's the slot corner or can Damon Arnett slide inside and play the slot corner? Maybe he wouldn't be so awful if he played there. I it's just to me, like you look at the Raiders offseason, they gave themselves a chance to be good on the defensive mm-hmm. line. I don't know if they will. I don't know if it'll right. all work out, but they gave themselves a chance to be good right. there. They, the linebackers, they didn't do much, but they sh- they have a chance to be good at linebackers. Sikowski and Littleton are solid. You look at the secondary, and they they did draft Morig. They, like, they gave themselves a chance in the secondary to be like 22nd. Like, that's what they did there because you draft Morig. You bring back Carl Joseph, who maybe he's better than Jonathan Abram, but still isn't. Sign Hayward. Good. Oh, and you sign Hayward, who should be better than Arnett Mullen, but still probably isn't great. Right. Like, they have some options in the secondary, but it's not like they got guys that, oh, yeah, he's going to be a legitimate top 10 guy at his position. They, they just don't have anybody on defense that does that. So, so the premise of the cover three is literally you're like, you're dividing the field into thirds and going, this is your entire section. I don't even – is there anyone, anyone that you're like, you can handle a third of the field? Open In terms of their can. corners? That's, corners, safe, like safeties, like that's – the whole premise of Gus Bradley's defense is you're dividing the field into thirds and going, this yeah, is your I mean, section. The only, it sounds what? crazy. <laughs> and like Tyler said, the only one I'd say right now is more. Yeah. Because we've seen everyone else. I mean, I would say, like, Hayward's got a chance to be good at it because he's done it before under Gus Bradley. So you hope he's good at it. But, 
Yeah. Right now, like more. And I, what, what was it? TCU didn't even play cover three. No, but, they played cover two. But he played a lot. But his skill set should translate right. to play deep middle. So maybe like the only good thing about the cover three or the, for the secondary is that Jonathan Abram doesn't have to cover anybody down the field. Like he gets to hit people. <laughs> yeah. He gets to play like more like a linebacker. Got to improve those yeah. angles. Yeah. Got to improve the angles. That's the good thing about the cover three. Not that they can cover people, but the Jonathan Abrams simply doesn't have to cover people anymore. All right. Coming up next, who's joining us next? Jamison Welch to talk of the NBA. <laughs> We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now is Jamison Welsh. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at the Jamison. Two E's in the Jamison. How are you this morning? What's up, Jamison? Doing well, fellas. Doing well. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, what is your uh, context here of Russell Westbrook breaking Oscar Robertson's triple-double record? It's a hell of an achievement. Like, it really is. Like, that's the first thing I think people have to understand. That's uh, the hell of an achievement, even though the game is different and the game has changed. When Oscar was playing, the game was way different than it is now. However, you know, Russ, you know, achieved a huge accomplishment last night. However, um, I don't think the record is going to be looked at or treated the same as it once was. You know, at one point in time, it was probably looked at as unbreakable. I think that there's going to be players coming up and playing and thinking, okay, I can do that or I'm going to go for that. You know, guys that have the ball in their hand a lot, guys with high usage rates, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys are going to be in the running for that because it's the thing. You know, the triple double is a fancy word. It's a big word that gets people's attention. However, if you watch basketball, you don't need to necessarily know somebody's having a great impact on a game because of their stats. If they, if if Russ has nine rebounds instead of ten, or nine assists instead of ten, that doesn't make him any more or less of a player. And I think that needs to get talked about more because we label everything in stats. And if he had if he had nine rebounds or nine assists, he didn't have a bad game. But this is where we are. But at the end of the day, it's a huge accomplishment. You know, we were talking before you came on about and I just want to talk to you about assists because I know you remember this when Stockton was going towards Magic's record and everyone's like, well, are they the same as they used to be? And, you know, it might as well be hockey sometimes with a secondary assist. But still, when he gets 21, let's say they, you know, they fudged on four, you know, it's still like 17. I mean, he's still doing things like, all right, that's pretty amazing. Um, is the game that much different, you think? It's way different. There's way more possessions. Um there's obviously the play, honestly the players are better too. Like that's the thing. The, the players, the the offense is better overall in terms of. I should say the players are better. Players are more skilled and they're allowed to showcase their skill. Uh, the players have always been good, but they're allowed to do more things. You have guys that are seven feet tall that are allowed to shoot. Twenty years ago, if you were seven feet tall and you're shooting threes, you'd be on the bench. Um, so it's just the game is way different. It's way more spread out. Um, the painted area is a lot less clogged than it used to be 10 years ago, let alone 15, 20 years ago. Uh, the reason why the blueprint to the NBA now is having a guard or a wing player being able to get by his guy and get to the paint because there's not a lot of people in the paint anymore. Uh, you have, you know, surround your superstar with three or four shooters and you have a really good chance of being successful. So that's the game we're in now. Uh, the way the game is played, the possessions, um, the, what is valued as important, in the game, all that's different than what it was when Magic was playing and Stockton was playing, also when Oscar was playing. So Russell Westbrook, you, the key for me, for him, though, the points and assists he's going to get because of the usage, the rebounds. He rushed like, what, 6'4", at, at, at most 6'3", 6'4". Being able to get, like, upwards of 20 rebounds at that height 
I don't care if you talk about stealing rebounds. Let's say he stole four rebounds a game. If you're able to get double-digit rebounds at that height every night, you're doing something right. Like, you're doing something, you know, there to really showcase your ability. So, um, much credit to him. He's doing a hell of a job. Uh, but the assist, and the one thing to look at is this. The home and road split on assists with a lot of guys that played is very interesting. The hometown cooking is very evident when it comes to that. When you look back at it, look back at Stockton, look back at uh, Magics, look back at uh, you know Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, of course, Russ. The home and road disparity is very interesting. Uh, I'm curious about Luka Doncic. I think he's up to 15 technical fouls. He's been ejected like twice in the last week or something like that. Is there is there anything more to that, or is that just sort of a fluky technical foul ejection season for Luka? Um, he's had some issues. Um, even an assistant coach told me last year that he needs to calm down, and that's something that he obviously has not done. So we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, but he needs to kind of chill, to be honest with you. It's a situation where he needs to be very careful because the last thing you want as one of the faces of the NBA is to have a reputation of being that guy, and no one wants to be that guy. So when you're in that situation, if you say something to the refs or if you say do something on the court, you're going to get a quick whistle. So we'll see what happens. He's still a young guy, but you got to remember, you know, this is one of the guys in the league that's marketing very heavy. So they got to, you know, I'll be very curious to see what's going to happen in the offseason because he can't be popping off at refs like that. At the same time, they need him on the court, and they need to be able to market him. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes forward. But he's getting a lot of less slack than if other players in the same draft class are doing this. If Trey Young was doing this, it would be a way different type of story. Should anyone feel sorry for the Suns that they're going to win 50 games and lose to the mighty seven-seeded Lakers? I mean, here's the thing. Um, you're in a situation where you, you do what you can and you get the results what it is. I mean, the sad part is this. The Suns are a really good story, but they're they're a fake contender because they have, of course, their backcourt. They have, have the best backcourt in the game right now. Their backcourt's amazing. Uh, if not the best, it's one of the top three of current people playing. Um, however, they're not ready. They're young. Their bench isn't that good. Like, they got Kaminsky playing minutes. So, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those years where it's a good year, but at the same time, we kind of knew this was going to happen. This is going to happen a lot sooner than expected. Because if you look out, if you look out west, they weren't, they weren't going to beat the Clippers in the series. They probably weren't going to beat the Jazz in the series. They're not going to beat the Lakers in the series. Denver's a toss-up. I think Denver beats them in a series. So, like, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, you know, better luck next year. Uh, that's a rough draw. And also, here's the thing. Utah getting Golden State in round one, if that happens, is a rough draw. Now, I think Utah wins the series, but, man, like, that's not the eight seeds you want to play, man. That's, I mean, Steph is, Steph is incredible. The rest of the Warriors, not so much. But in a playoff situation where you got a guy going crazy, and if they somehow get it's one one going back to San Francisco, you just never know, man. So I think both the top seeds are getting rough draws if things go the way they're supposed to. How bad of an argument is it to say Steph Curry's more impressive now than when he won MVP? Whew. Um, I wouldn't say more, because that would be what he did in his MVP years was very, very special. What he is doing now is out of necessity because on those teams 
he didn't have to go off every game because they had Clay Thompson. They had, you know, obviously Kevin Durant came a little bit later. Uh, they had a healthy Draymond Green. They had role players that were really good, Livingston and Iguodala. So he didn't have to go off like this to win games. Uh, now he's having to go off, so it's a little bit more fun to watch. Uh, with that being said, though, um, it just answers a lot more questions, basically saying, like, hey, he has a lot left in the tank. Like, a lot of people said, oh, how much, how much does he have left? What is he going to do? The Warriors are done. Like, nah, they have a nice – they have some, some juice left in them. Now, we'll be interested to see what happens with their financial situation. They have some high-priced guys they got to make decisions on, so we'll see. But if this year has proved anything that Steph still has a lot of years left, a lot, of, a lot left to give to this game. And the Warriors, as a unit, aren't quite done yet. But they got to make some smart moves coming up. Why Why do I get this? Since like one day I think the Clippers can win it all, and then I watch them against the Knicks and don't think they can win it all. Oh, man. The Clippers are an extremely talented team. Uh, they are, if you look at their 1-15 to 15 roster, they're extremely talented, and they have the pieces you would like on an ideal championship team. However, they have one really big issue is that they're a jump-shooting team, and they don't get a lot of easy baskets. You know, they've shot well from three this season, but in the playoffs, we know how things go. Um, when teams take away your first second option, you're relying on role players to hit threes, and a lot of times in the playoffs, those threes don't go in. Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how Rondo and Patrick Beverly hold up. Uh, Reggie Jackson's also in their point guard rotation. I'm going to be very interested to see how often those guys can get in the paint. Because if you can't get into the paint, you become a strictly jump-shooting team, it's very difficult to win games that way. Not saying it can't be done, because Paul George has been really good this year, and Kawhi's Kawhi. But it's an extreme amount of stress it puts on your offense and also your defense at times, too. You can't get easy buckets. So I'll be very interested to see what happens. But this is a kind of a make-or-break year for them. They went all in bringing in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and have not gotten the results just yet. And if they play Lakers in the first round, there's a possibility of that. If they go out in round one, I don't know what kind of happens. Like, I don't know what what takes place. I mean, somebody may have to go. So It'll be very fascinating to follow their journey. How broken are the Celtics? Oh, they're done. Um, they have one more pay period left in this NBA season. <laughs> um, you know, they, they're, they're done. But at the same time, even before Jalen Brown's injury, I didn't think much of them. I, I thought that they were thin up front. I thought they, I thought Kimba, as good as he has been in the past, he's no longer the same guy that they thought they were getting. Uh, now he only has two years left on his deal, but they thought they were getting all-star Kimba. They have not gotten that guy. So they're in a really tough spot overall. And I don't think it's really Brad Stevens' fault. I think they're going to put blame on a situation. you got to look at Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge has had a bunch of assets, a bunch of opportunities to improve the team long term. He has failed to do so. Uh, he turned down Miles Turner in a signing trade for Gordon Hayward over the offseason. That would have helped their team tremendously, even though Miles Turner is hurt now. But to begin with, that would have given them a bona fide big guy go the rest of that team. That would have changed their team, and he refused to do that trade. I believe it was Miles Turner and McDermott for Gordon Hayward in a signing trade. He didn't do that, and the rest is kind of history. Does he have to go before Brad Stevens goes? I mean, I don't think Angel will ever go. I think Angel has to step down. Uh, Brad Stevens ain't going nowhere, man, because here's the thing. One, who are you going to get? Secondly, if Brad Stevens goes, he gets a job within five minutes of him being unemployed. Um, Danny Ainge's had a track record of very shaky transactions and a lot of almosts or woulda, coulda, shouldas. 
If, if there's going to be a mood remade, I think Ainge will be the guy to go. Um, I think they'll retool and try to get better next time. I just thought they, they kind of wasted their assets. They didn't cash in their assets for a big move. Think about the last, the last two NBA champions. The Raptors traded a bunch of assets to get Kawhi, win a championship. Lakers traded a boatload of stuff, won a championship. If you're not willing to risk it, you're not going to win it. Well, he is Jamison Welsh. Follow him on Twitter at the Jamison. Uh, Jamison, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jamison. Appreciate Anytime. it. Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, he's right about the Celtics. They didn't. They they got right. a bunch of picks. They got a lot of good players, but they didn't go make the you know the trade for James Harden or anything like that. Like if they you know if they're the team that acquired James Harden instead of the Brooklyn Nets, the Celtics are probably in the top three in the yeah. East right now. We're talking about them potentially winning the title, but they never they never went in and and got that extra superstar. To win a title. How much if Brad Stevens was available with college coaches, uh, college teams go, damn, we, we, we got a guy too early. <laughs> like if he was like available, you'd like, uh, darn it. Hey, Chris Beard left after what? 13 days. Yeah, he just, left yeah that's true. Just fire 18. the guy. That's, <laughs> that's fine. Beard, we've buyout. had enough for you. Yeah, pay the buyout. <laughs> Bring in Brad Stevens. It'll be fine. No big deal. All right. Coming up next. Oh, Matt's got to repick because the Padres got rained out. Weatherman Ed was right on that one. Plus Luke Perk Dandy. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously we, we find a new excuse from uh, Bob Baffert <laughs> every day. So the, the, uh, the narrative seems to change by the hour. Uh, but people are still moving forward with selling Freakness bets on PropSwap. Um you know, obviously that impacts the odds of every other pony. So, uh, you know, it's a wager on uh, Medina Spirit racing or not. It sure seems like he's not going to race now. I'd love a prop with the top five names on who might have peed in the hay. <laughs> like uh, Jim, Jimmy's six to one. He's the peer. Uh, listen, uh, going to NBA now, is there, are people trying to sell the Suns? They lose to the Lakers the other night uh, without LeBron. So that's not a good, uh, good, good. Uh, uh, forecast if they have to play him in like a two seven matchup. And what's happening with the NBA tickets being sold or bought right now? Yeah, yeah, the Lakers are are clearly the prop swap story. Are you long the Lakers? Do you want to buy low on them because they have uh, you know having a rough uh, three or four week stretch here? Do you want to sell the Lakers if you have a Lakers ticket? It's the time to get out now. Um, so yeah, I mean it's very polarizing team. The most polarizing team in my opinion. It seems like there's pretty strong consensus on Brooklyn, um, but not much consensus at all on L.A. So we have a ticket up for sale at odds of plus 460. Costs you 624 bucks, and we'll pay $3,500. That is a guy he bought the Lakers earlier this season at around plus 215, and he's trying to get out. Um, you know, Meanwhile, William Hill has the Lakers at plus 350, so you know some, a very steep discount if you buy that on prop swap. Best seven seed of all time. Well, he is Luke Perk Dandy from PropSwap.com. Luke, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Wow. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. All right, Matt is back because uh, weatherman Ed was spot on with his uh, analysis that the Padres and Rockies game would be rained out or snowed out yesterday. It was so uh, Matt's pick didn't actually go through, which means Matt's back to try to start a streak today. Uh, Matt, do do you want to go back to the Padres or what do you want to pick today? 
Let me go uh, the White Sox today. All right. Oh, all we'll right. put you in for the White Sox. Ed, is there any rain in the forecast? For where, the are they pl- where are they playing? Where are they playing? <laughs> are they at home? Are the White Sox at home? I don't know. You're going to look at Minnesota. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hold on. Ed is actually looking this up for us. So You're, you're fine. Happens. I mean, it's going to be a little chilly at 55, but you're okay. fine. There won't be right. not a cloud in the sky there in Minneapolis. All right. Well, good luck with the White Sox, Matt. We'll uh, be nice. talking to you tomorrow if they win. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. We should just do daily weather updates on wherever these guys are picking games. At least outdoor ones. Obviously, it doesn't matter indoor. It would be well, who, who would the sponsor be? Well, we don't. We struggle with those, so I'm no, trying to. That's think. what I'm saying. Like, let's not do. Let's not add anything to the show unless we're getting paid that's to right. do it. But, You're exactly right. But like random weather of a game, that could, that could be. I mean, it it would not be a good segment, but no. it'd be a fun well, thing to do. I mean, each day. come on, good segment. Or begging for those. If they, he didn't know if they were at home or not, though. So for whatever reason, if they're in Chicago, it's, they're okay. They're forty-eight though, so chilly. So he, he's good either way. He'll be fine. No rain or snow. No it's rain a, or snow in either Chicago be, or Minneapolis. It would be impressive if our sharp picked a game every day that got rained out. Oh yeah, that would actually be Eight more straight. impressive than picking Eight the straight. actual winners. Yeah, just prolong his first be great. pick forever. All right. Um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this story, although I feel like I need to look up and see if there's been any recent updates. But this guy in Houston, Texas, who had a tiger and it was just loose in the neighborhood. And then we find out, oh, he's got a chimpanzee or two chimpanzees. And then we find out, oh, he's out on bond for murder. Um, What in the hell is happening with this guy? Apparently, he's now been caught by the police. But they don't have the tiger. But the tiger, but the tiger escaped, <laughs> which is given he was in the car with the man. That's a little strange. Did he like let the tiger out so the tiger wouldn't also like be uh, sent back to Florida? I, I'm asking, and we'll ask Sam and Ash tomorrow. Uh, Sam and Ash, we, might spend we, we need Sam and Ash this because the, well, the biggest thing I uh, that I came to thinking of, not, it wasn't even the tiger or the chimps, was that if he's out on bond for murder in Florida, should he be in Texas? Probably not. I mean, I would. Th- isn't there something called state lines when you're indicted for murder? I mean, I think that's usually that comes along with the charge. I don't know why this guy's in Houston. So, all right, he's out on bond for but murder. But then again, he's out on bond for murder, so he probably broke the law. Right. So I don't think he's too worried about that. Because he's not only is he out on bond for murder, he has a tiger. Yes. Don't know where that came from. I'm assuming that's illegal. Um, but and the chimps are not, you told me. I, I read that the chimps were not. That in, in, that in Texas. Texas, you're allowed to have chimps. Uh, okay. Now, maybe you got to have permits and he doesn't have the permits. I don't know, but you are oh, allowed to have chimps. There's no, way this, there's on, no chance this guy's permits for anything. He's out on murder with a tiger. You think this guy went down to the city hall and say, listen, I need my permits for the chimps? There's no chance this guy did that. Do you think this guy has valid insurance on the truck he was transporting the tiger in? Yeah, you gotta you gotta protect the tiger, Jared. You gotta get that inch. I don't know anything other happens. than this guy has no permits for anything. There's no chance the guy's permits. I I just I don't. He may not even have a child. I feel like he owes child support. Like yeah. that's just yeah, exactly. that's like that's. Okay, hold on. I'm re- okay. The story on CNN about this says owning a tiger in Houston is a Class C misdemeanor, punishable with a maximum fine of five hundred dollars. Which does not seem like the amount of money you should be fined for owning a tiger. No. A tiger probably eats more than that in meat each I was going to say, does the, does the fine go up if the tiger eats somebody? I mean, like, what if he attacks them? It's a tiger. Wait, wait, wait. 
Did the tiger murder somebody? Is that why this guy is he out said, on bond? Maybe the tiger's the one who murdered somebody. He watched Tiger King and thought it was a how-to. Yeah. <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he's, he's actually, it's not him. He's escaping with the tiger. He's afraid they're going to like do something to the tiger. Is it Car- the tiger. Isn't Carol Baskin in Florida? Oh, <laughs> this is really taking a weird turn now. Well, we know one thing. It can't be her husband. <laughs> it could be. Well, this if it is, well, if it is her husband, she's getting off on what everyone thinks she already did. He escaped. Maybe it's a tiger, tiger. It, she, she supposedly fed him to. This is... Like it's the craziest story you've ever seen. Mm. Is not only did the guy have a tiger in a neighborhood, he had chimps, and he's out on bond, and now he's been arrested, and they don't know where the tiger is anymore. And he has no permits. In the near side of center, collision, but an entry, a shot, score! Burakovsky ties it up, one one. That was awesome. Abs back in with speed. Comfort to the right side. Timmons, right circle for Newhook. Centered, and they score! It was a tip in front on a centering pass from Alex Newhook. It went off JT Comfort and into the goal. Colorado leads 2-1. to one. The Las Vegas Review Journal. It goes around behind. Eight seconds. Centering pass untouched. Left boards, five seconds, cleared out of the zone, and this is going to do it. The game is over. Two to one, Colorado wins. You think I like the shootout? Just crush my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. The Golden Knights lost last night. They no longer control their own destiny. Uh, to win the West Division. It is in the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. They can still win it. They beat San Jose and the Avalanche uh, just lose one game against the Kings. Mighty the Kings. Uh, where the, the Golden Knights will win the division. But it's time for Ed to take off his weatherman hat and put on his yes. professor hat. Grainy's grades. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Brains, brains. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. I just want an excuse to play this sound again. Um, but Ed, the first topic to, to grade is Pete DeBoer's post-game press conference. Justin, hey Pete, you, you kind of talked about it, but one shot in the final 10 minutes, I'm wondering, did you think the guys kind of hit a wall physically or was it just Colorado making some adjustments and making good plays? No, I, I don't know. You know what, if you, if you guys want to talk about negatives tonight, you go ahead. I, I don't have any for you. Next question goes to Brian Blessing, the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Hi, Brian. Hey, Pete, uh, the, the little things do make a difference, though. On Comfer's goal, it seemed like uh, maybe he got caught on a line change and we're chasing the play there a little bit. Next question. Next question. Pete, thanks for the time tonight. <laughs> a plus, pass, pass. A plus, pass, 
pass. I mean, you and I are saying come before the show. This is a really the first time we've seen him prickly Pete. Uh, you know, the, the nickname. This is the first time we've seen this from him. I, you know, he's frustrated. Like Ben Goat said, you worked the entire season to get to this game. You're forced to go with 15 skaters. I mean, he should be emotional. He should be mad at it. I now the other A plus goes to. Uh, Garrett for saying a Pete plus. thanks a lot because that was that, that's always the greatest ending ever is like when Pete thanks a lot. Uh, I'm giving him an A. I, I you know he showed some emotion. He was mad. He should be mad. I am going to give an A plus. A plus to Brian Blessing <laughs> because after Pete DeVore said, "If you guys want to be negative, go ahead." Brian Blessing's question was about that well, horrible you change. Up a line change that led to a call, <laughs> which is. Perfect. That's exactly what the yeah. next question should have been about was, yeah, you guys gave up the game when you go on a bad line change. So phenomenal all the way around. Great. I'm glad we finally got Pete DeBoer being like upset about yes. something in a press conference. Like, we missed that with Gerard Gallant. Like Gerard Gallant coached the most successful expansion team in the history of sports and still got mad at the media for just random stuff in press conferences. Now, they're off today, and there's no media availability. They switched up their schedule. Is there any chance, any chance, because they play the Sharks next, that Pete told the media people last night, there's no chance I'm talking to Shang Peng tomorrow? <laughs> like, cancel all availability, because it, since we're playing the Sharks, Shang might call into this Zoom, and at this point, I just can't do it. When are Thank you guys going to hire Shang Peng? Come on. <laughs> Get it together. Just for Zooms. Just hire Shang Peng. For question. Knights Zooms. That's all yes. you have to do. Raiders, no. We don't care about that. Yes. Knights Zooms. No one on the Review Journal staff is allowed to raise their hand Except until Shang. Shang gets a question. Yeah. And that's it. Well, Nobody else. after that, none of us probably will be able to because it'll be, <laughs> Pete, thanks a lot. All right. Next topic to grade is Alex Tuck. Oh. It's tough because he came on the show what, last week for us, so that was really good. F minus, F minus. F minus. F. Minus. Okay, so not that he – and here's the thing. I'm not going to give much of a hard time to anyone on the 15 last night because they played a ton of minutes. He was on He was on the ice for both goals. But I'm sorry. When when you and I and Jared, and I don't know how any of us in terms of comparative to us as skaters, could have made the goal that he missed on with the open net, he has to get an F because that was – you talk about O'Reilly missing the game before an open net. This was like 10 times more open – on the open net that he missed on this show. I often yell that hockey players are incapable of elevating the puck, that they'll have a chance to score a goal. And all they have to do is get the puck four inches off the ice and the goalie can't save it. And they, they never do. They right. shoot it right into the goalie's pads. Alex Tuck didn't even have to do that. No, he, he just had to just, slide it. Yeah, just had <laughs> he didn't to even have to shoot it. Because <laughs> Philip Grubauer. used the back of the, or the bot, like the stick, like a pool cue. Yes. Like a pool cue. He yes. could have bent down and like, like he could have used it as a pool cue. That's how open the net was. And he missed. Now, the one good thing about that play is he was with Will Carrier. Will Carrier is the one that made the pass. Will Carrier is, is actually pretty fast. He's a fast skater. And very often when the Golden Knights are fully healthy, Will Carrier will skate in in like a one-on-one -on -one situation and just sort of fling a bad shot on net because he's the only one up the ice for his team because he's normally playing with Ryan Reeves and Ryan Reeves can't get up the ice that fast. So when Will Carrier gets to play with somebody that can actually skate, he he made a, he created a great chance great for Alex shot. Tuck to score. Great so maybe play Will Carrier with some better players and something might happen. Next topic. Alex Petrangelo. I'm giving this guy an A. A. First of all, he had to play almost 30 minutes. And he scored their he only scored. goal. And he scored their only he goal. He elevated the puck. And I think he has, 
it's either eight points in nine games or seven. He's playing a lot better. He's kind of playing like the guy everyone said he was going to be. He had to play 30 minutes last night, and he scored the only goal. I have to give him an A. I don't know what else you'd give him. A. a C. Ah, oh, here C. we go. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. The worst. Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> Alex Petrangelo is on this team for two reasons. Number one, he's supposed to help with scoring. Not nice. necessarily score a ton of goals, but he he's scored supposed last night. to produce points yeah. and, and be on the ice, create goals. He did that last night. Yes. He did half of his job. The other reason he's here, the other half, is for him to be a shutdown defenseman against the other team's best players. And last night, when he was on the ice with Nathan McKinnon, Golden Knights had an expected goals rate of 33%. When he and McKinnon shared the ice, Colorado won the high danger chances 2 to nothing. Colorado won the scoring chances 9-6. to six. Obviously, you're not going to shut down Nathan McKinnon every time you play him because Nathan McKinnon is good at hockey. They've actually done a good job on him, though. Well, he hasn't had many points. He hasn't, he, he hasn't that's, done that's much. That's the weird thing that I think he if has. they play in the playoffs, McKinnon might explode because McKinnon's analytics, like his expected goals as Corsi against the Golden Knights, are phenomenal. He just doesn't, he hasn't but finished. But they have not scored when McKinnon's right. been on the ice. So I think if they play in a playoff series, McKinnon might, we might be looking back saying he scored eight goals in a six-game series or something like that because it feels like it's just waiting to happen. But Petrangelo last night did half of his job. He helped create the offense. He didn't shut down the McKinnon line. They gave up a ton of chances when McKinnon was on the ice without creating much. And he's here to do both. Well, if you just needed one uh, of those, they could have kept Nate Schmidt. If you just pet- needed one of those. You're going to be petty about it. It's a C. Did Nate Schmidt eat hay? C. The worst. I think somebody <laughs> peed on the hay that Nate Schmidt ate before he tested positive. That's what happened there. there it was like a pinch of salt. <laughs> Pinch, in a pool, it was a, it, that was it was is a pinch of salt in a pool. That was yes, that a pinch of salt in an Olympic size Olympic size pool. pool. Yeah, this was a pinch of pee in a <laughs> stable full of hay. All right, next topic to grade is Robin Leonard. Oh, C, C. One, he didn't face that many shots. What was it twenty one? Uh, it ended up being twenty one. It was like thirty six twenty one on shots, but he gave up the two goals in a two one. In a 2-1 loss, uh, I'll give him a C. I, I got to be honest with you. And, and I thought when he started, just because Flurry's really athletic and he can move, and this is like a really fast team, and they create a lot of things, or at least they usually do, I thought Leonard was giving up more than two going into the game. Like, I thought he'd give up more than two against that team, and he didn't. But I'll have to stay with a C because he, get, you know, he gave up the two goals and they lose 2-1. to one. Colorado's expected goals was 1.8 in that game. He gives up two. So that's, okay. he was basically average yeah. as expected in that game. So a C. C. Um, the problem is that Philip Grubauer was much better. He was ins- Grubauer incredible. was excellent last incredible. night. And the Golden Knights expected goals was 3.5. He only yeah, allowed incredible. one. So that is like when you look at the playoffs – if these two teams play, that might be what simply decides who gets the better goal. Mm-hmm. Is Grubauer better than Flurry slash Leonard in a playoff series? Because the skaters on the ice, they're, they're pretty evenly matched. Right. Like McKinnon's probably the best player, but like top to bottom, assuming the Golden Knights have a full complement of skaters, right. they're pretty even. And it might simply come down to, hey, which goaltender has the best four yeah. games in this series? That's the team that advances. Next topic, the LA Kings. Uh-huh. A plus plus pass a plus plus <laughs> pass plus okay solid solid um you're gonna think I'm crazy I think they're getting one or two in Colorado oh, I do save I think, the season I do think they're getting one or two and we talked about this with group not uh, group hour they're gonna have to make a call here because now 
my assumption is if they win the first one, they're playing them back to back. Because you're at that point, like, no, you got to win the division. If they lose the first one, I don't think it matters because if the Knights win, then you you sit them. But if the playoffs are starting, which we believe Saturday or Sunday, which we believe that's going to happen, you play him to back to back, and he has to rest day for a playoffs. I don't know. I mean, that's I'm really interested to see what they do. I su- I would play him until the divisions either won or lost. I would you have to you're supposed to play you're supposed to win the division, but I. I don't know why I think they're going to I think they're going to steal one. I think they're getting one of those. The Kings this year have won one of 6 games against the Avalanche. And they're going to go 2 of 7. <laughs> yes. A lot of them were close though. Last week those were close games, like 2-2, two, 3-2. Two, two, it's hockey. Two, they're one. all close. No, what are you no. talking about? No, I think they steal one. Do you? Yes. I think they get one. I don't know why. I don't even know why I think that. Um so the situation for the Golden Knights now They play Wednesday against the Sharks. The Avalanche have two left Wednesday and Thursday against the Kings. If the Golden Knights beat the San Jose Sharks, then the Avalanche just have to lose one of those two games against the Kings, and the Golden Knights will still win the West Division. But does not matter what the Golden Knights do. If the Avalanche win the last two games of the season, if they beat the Kings back-to-back nights, the Colorado Avalanche win the division no matter what happens yeah. on Wednesday against San Jose. So that's the situation. The Golden Knights destiny is in the Kings' hands. So I'm giving the Kings an F. F. Because <laughs> I have to pay that? attention to the Kings. Failure. Uh, and I don't want to pay attention to the Kings. That's the only reason you're giving Nobody wants to pay attention to the Kings. It's brutal. But, again, to go back to Money Puck and their odds, uh, it is a 68% chance that the Colorado Avalanche win the West Division. Which, to me, says Money Puck believes they're getting beat once. Well, okay. With two left at home against a team that's that, I have to admit, not good, and it's only 68%, I think they think they're losing one. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't you normally say like, it's like 80%? They're well, at home? okay. So, like, the way, the way, like, odds for a game work, like, for example, the two, two games that are today, like, the Capitals have a 58% chance to beat the Bruins, the, the Winnipeg has a 63% chance to beat Vancouver. Right, like you very rarely have a team that has over a sixty percent chance to win a game in hockey. Now I'm looking at it; the Avalanche have a seventy-four percent chance to beat the Kings on what tomorrow night? <laughs> on Wednesday, yes, seventy-four, seventy-four, which is the highest by far. Nobody else is over sixty for that day. <laughs> I'm not but, going back on it. I think they're stealing one. But that's how, like, yeah, that's how probability works. What's even, what's tomorrow night with the uh, Golden Knights and Sharks? Uh, let's see. It was it was under sixty, fifty eight percent. So they're giving the Sharks a puncher's chance. Well, the Golden Knights might have seven skaters on that's the true, ice. That's true. So the Sharks. It's all factored in. It's one. all factored it in. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Oh, I did some more journalism for the show. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Last night, injuries and salary cap issues finally caught up to the Vegas Golden Knights as they fell to the Colorado Avalanche by a score of 2-1. to one. Colorado is now two points down with two games left for Colorado and one game left for the Vegas Golden Knights. The rules of Scrabble are simple. First, each player pretends to mix the tiles while trying to feel for the letter A. Bischoff's briefs. The game does not officially begin until one player reminds all the others that the first word scores double. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. 
Bischoff's brief. Players then take turns laying down words until someone does a bad job hiding the fact that they drew a blank. Bischoff's briefs. Upon seeing the blank draw, each player must make a bad joke about the tiles in their possession. Bischoff's briefs. Play continues until each turn takes longer than open heart surgery, and the game ends when one person uses the last of their letters. Even though at this point no one likes that person, they're still referred to as the winner. Bischoff's briefs. And that's how you scrabble. Today's Bischoff's Briefs. More journalism by me. Public request. Oh, public records request, I should say. It's a good thing. So, UNLV almost had to change their nickname Rebels. If you remember back in February, there was a bill in the Nevada legislature that uh, conceivably could have changed uh, required universities to change their nickname if they were found to be offensive, and that could have applied to rebels. Uh, universities ended up getting dropped from that bill, and it just applied to high schools and middle schools in the state of Nevada. But before it got dropped, UNLV actually did a little bit of uh, research into how much it would cost them to get rid of the nickname Rebels. And the athletic department came up with the number $981,295. So nearly a million dollars that UNLV athletics would lose if they had to change the nickname Rebels. Uh, they got to this by basically estimating the cost of all the equipment and gear that has Rebels on it. So that's everything from like football jerseys, track and field warmups, like Rebels on the floor at Thomas and Mack. And my favorite was the bucket hats for all the student athletes. That was one of the line items. $24,000 for bucket hats for all student athletes. Um, football would have been the most costly of the sports, just under a half million dollars, because not only do they have a large number of players, which means a large number of jerseys and, and apparel, they also have a semi-truck that's wrapped with a big thing that says, you know, UNLV football rebels on it. So there's a lot for football that would be changed there. Basketball would have been just over six figures as well. Um, we also know that it would cost the athletic department 250 or it did cost the athletic department $215,000 to drop Hey Reb from all their gear and equipment, which included $15,000 for a new mascot costume. So whenever they decide to get a new mascot, $15,000 is the estimate on that cost. But what I found most interesting about all of this is if you remember the Nevada assemblyman who was trying to pass that bill, his name was Howard Watts. He talked to the Associated Press about, you know, taking the universities, taking UNLV out of his bill. And when he talked to the Associated Press, he told the AP that it would cost UNLV between $11.6 million and $16.9 million to drop the name Rebels. The athletic department says it would cost them basically a million bucks, which means the rest of the university, it's going to cost the non-athletic department parts of the university 10 to $15 million to get rid of the name rebels from campus. That seems improbable. Seems a little high. elevated. Yeah. If the athletics department, there's a million, the department that uses it the most is yeah. a million. The rest of the school needs 10 to 15. Like, do they just have like rebels in brick everywhere across campus or something? Oh, I you mean, went there. Yeah. They, they, they do have rebels in like literally like in 
stonework on parts of the like <laughs> campus. As so, much as I believe there would be landscaping costs to say the least. As much as I believe the fifteen is way elevated, I'm shocked the athletics is only a million. That I, I like, thought I'm, so too. There's buildings, New jerseys. Uh, yeah, buildings, jerseys, uh, gear, helmets, whatever. It's like that adds up. That adds up a lot, even with the bucket hats. I mean, I actually thought a million was <laughs> if it was only a million total. And the, this bill was introduced. I mean, they might not like it, but I could see it passing. It was only a million now. Sixteen million in a school with like money problems, and you know, like most uh, non-power fives, uh, that's a lot. Now, a lot of paint. Yes, I am uh, inferring here. This was never explic- explicitly said by anybody, but when Howard Watts talked to the Associated Press about this. It was kind of implied that part of the reason they were going to drop UNLV from this was because it was going to cost them 11 to $16 million. And in some of the emails that I received with the public uh, records request, it was kind of implied that, hey, we need to show how much this will cost us so we can have an argument as to why we shouldn't change our name because they don't want to force university to spend a bunch of money. So I'm very curious, which means there's going to be another public records request for the non-athletic department expenditures here. How the hell they got to ten million or fifteen million dollars? Like, are they tearing down a building and putting up a new one? Because that's a huge number that we're talking about. Because again, replacing the word "rebels" on the floor at Cox Pavilion or Thomas and Mac was only was like $100,000, right? Like, we're not talking about that being a million dollars just to do that. So where is this other 10 to 15 where, million coming from? Where's all this signage? Right. And even if it is signage, like, like you take it down. You paint like over you it? Can, I don't know. It's $11 million? Right. Even if there's stones on the ground, like Jared is saying, I, f- I feel like you can get rid of that without like spending a million bucks. Letterhead in the office? I mean, I, I don't know where you get $11 million for this. Right. So I am... I, yeah, fascinated where that other 10 to, to 15 million would come from. Because again, the athletic department saying it would have only cost them a million dollars to change from the name Rebels to something else. Whatever and if the if anyone is. on campus you'd think they'd have to do a lot, it'd be them. Right. You would have thought, I mean, if you said it's going to cost UNLV as a whole 15 million to change from Rebels, yeah. you'd think the athletic department would be like, well, that's going to cost us nine. Yeah. We're nine of that 15 million. Nothing against million. the biology department, but how many Rebels are like <laughs> signages over there? I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't correlate to how much this would cost, right? It they, just doesn't. They literally had a statue of their mascot on campus that they had to get rid of. Well, that's already been accounted for. Okay, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> the, the the whole, like, rebel iconology is everywhere on that campus. Man. Fifteen Still seems worth? high. Still seems high. I mean, they got oh, that. No, it still seems ridiculous, <laughs> but at the same time. I think I could find a way to make it fifteen million. <laughs> they got that. They got that statue in that pickup truck fast, man. That thing came down in like two seconds. Guy was driving down Maryland Park. He's like, "What's that hood on that statue?" Like they covered it in a blanket. Remember that when they backed that thing out in the in like the truck? What was that thing came down in like two seconds? What was transported more safely, the Hey Reb statue or that tiger in in Houston, Texas? Oh, tiger got the treatment. Hey Reb almost dro- <laughs> dropped on Maryland Parkway a few times. They got they were so worried about the Hey Reb with what, all that was going on, man. They took that thing down quick. Get it out of there. Got the blanket over it, just backed it out. It's like what? The, where is that going? So I want to know where Hey Reb went. That's that's like where exactly. the statue okay. go? Wait, that, did they tell us? Did they? I'll have to go back and read the press they release. They took it. I thought they. I thought they said where it was going. I hope to. I hope it's in someone's yard. 
Yes. God, I hope it's in someone's yard. <laughs> what, if it's in a, what if it's in Arroyo's yard? Oh, that'd, that'd be, be fun. That'd it be would great. Be. We'll never find out, though. <laughs> no. Coming up next, no. Chelsea Gray joins the show. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Joining us now is one of the newest additions to the Las Vegas Aces, Chelsea Gray. Chelsea, how are you this morning? Hey, Chelsea. I'm good. How are you? Good. I I have an important question because two weeks ago we had Bill Lambeer on and I referred to you as a point guard and he corrected me and said, I don't have a point guard. I have a lead guard. So are you a point guard still or are you a lead guard? Uh, I mean, to the world, you know, when you try to say the five positions, it is the point guard, but everybody's system is different. So I'm a lead guard. (laughs) Or, or are you just what Bill wants you to play? Because so Bill's probably not. Bill doesn't <laughs> seem to he's going to change his mind. Yeah. Um, okay. Did, how much of a relationship did you have with Bill Lambeer before you signed with the Aces? Um, not much. Uh, competing against him my time during uh, playing in this league, and then I was able to see a little bit more of him when they had when we had a WNBA All Star here in Las Vegas. But I. The most conversations we have had had been in free agency during that process and asking questions and his philosophies. So it, it really wasn't built on a strong relationship in the past, but um, every day our relationship is growing and understanding of each other. Do you have a good Lambeer story yet, or what's he been like uh, in this offseason leading up to the year? Um, I don't have I don't have quite a quite a story. It's quite a story yet. I, I'm sure if you. If, if we talk again in about a month, I'll, I'll probably have a few of them. I'll give it time. Uh, is the sense as you walked in for the first time, uh, we have the Golden Knights here in town. It's kind of like, hey, you got to win the cup. They've built to win the cup. If not, uh, it's not a good season. Is the sense after what happened last year and the addition of yourself that it's win the title or, or, or not? I mean, th- th- this has to be a year that they win the title? Um, I think that's our goal. Uh, we want to raise that trophy at the end of the season, but – we have to take it game by game, practice by practice, and start to build those habits so when we get in that position, you know, we're prepared for it. And um, we're, we're starting now and doing those building blocks to get there. Haven't gotten a regular season game in yet, but what's it been like so far getting to play with both Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage together? Uh, it's kind of like pick your poison, right? Uh, you have each of those on the block. You have them that can shoot from the outside as well. So, um, you know, it's a force to be reckoned with. And um, I love the possibilities that we're able to, to able to do uh, on both ends of the floor, actually. You know, their ability to stretch out and, and block shots, but also the ability to run um, an offensive transition and, and own the paint. Have you had much interaction with your new owner, who happens to own the Raiders as well, building that practice facility? And, and if not, what is the sense you get from how he intends on kind of leading this franchise and giving it what it needs to, you know, be a champion? Yes, Mark and I have had several conversations and, you know, what he wants out of this ball club. And, of course, that is championships, but he also wants to do it the right way. And throughout those conversations, he's get a sense of that. And his pride for winning, his pride for this organization and wanting us to be successful on and off the court. And so I always appreciate our conversations and we'll continue to have them throughout the year. He was someone that sat courtside at Aces games even before he owned the team. Um, does he come across as like a just massive fan of the team that happens to own the team as well? 
Of course. I think he's an advocate for the game and for us, but also a fan at the same time and wants to see us succeed and cheers us on uh, no matter what. You know, we were talking earlier about uh, Russell Westbrook uh, breaking Oscar Robertson's uh, record, and it's like, you know, triple, uh, triple-double triple record, and the game's different nowadays, obviously, than it was back when Oscar played. Tell us about kind of the maturation of the women's game in your mind. What has changed, and how much better is it than when you first started playing? I think when you look back, you know, with the exception of a few players like Liz or the um, the kind of offense we run here, but you're seeing most, more fluidity through one through five, right? You're seeing people like Brooke Lopez um, shooting threes. Even Liz now is shooting threes. So you're seeing that being able to stretch out beyond the paint and you know, being able to see more mobile posts and the fluidity of not having set a uh, person that's a set one or, or a three or, or a five position. You could talk to somebody like LeBron, right? He runs one through four a lot of the time. So I think you're seeing kind of the shift of the fluidity between positions and being able to be a little bit more agile and um, have a kind of positionless basketball a little bit more. We, we've seen some clips on Twitter. Are we going to get Asia Wilson shooting threes this year? I think, I think that's in our bag this year. So, <laughs> so I'm excited for that. How many? How many does she get to shoot and miss before you guys say, "Okay, Asia, <laughs> back not, inside"? Like, what? I, like, what's the number there? It's gonna be a flow thing for sure. What do you think of Vegas? Um, and I, I've seen some quotes from you. Uh, we had some quotes in the paper the other day from you about, you know, your your expectations here, what you wanted to do, how you like the city. Like, can you talk about that part of it? Yeah, it's a big, small town. And you can really feel that you can get to different places within 10 to 15 minutes, which is what I love. Um, I'm a cook, so I love the, you know, the wide variety of restaurants that Vegas has to offer. And just, you know, the city life is a beautiful scenery going up and down the strip, but also outside cities. Um, so I'm a fan of it. The heat, I'm trying to get used to the heat. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie, you know, you. <laughs> coming out the house and you're like, whoa, I need to be walking with a fan all the time. So <laughs> just trying to get used to that. Um, but I like the city so far. I'm definitely going to try to explore a little bit more, but stay safe at the same time. So just trying to figure out that balance. See, now this is a little disappointing because Jiggy should have told you it's a dry heat. <laughs> so you'll be fine. And it's not, you know, there's no humidity here. So it's a dry heat. Jiggy should have told you that. I, I was I was familiar, but it, it's still when that sun is baking, when that sun is baking, there's no change in that. Uh, Chelsea, correct me if I'm wrong. You got to visit Vegas before the pandemic, before this offseason, right? Like you had a trip out here to see what it would have been like to sign with the Aces? Yes, I definitely had a trip out here. Um, there's a documentary um, of that um, showing, you know, the free agency process in the women's game. And I was able to come out here and talk with Bill, talk with Dan and, and really meet some of the staff and look at the facilities and where we would live and, trying to kind of envision my life here in Las Vegas. And so I think later down the line, that really helped in knowing like what I was getting into if I were to sign with Aces. And, you know, I was excited once I was able to sign on the dotted line. We hear from current Aces players that have played here about how well this organization takes care of its players and, and runs the team. I'm curious, you're coming in from the outside. Like, is that the view from the outside, from the rest of the WNBA players as well, that Vegas is the best or at least one of the best in terms of taking care of the team, taking care of the players? 
Yes, definitely. Um, outside looking in, that's what I saw. That's what I felt, especially when I came here for WNBA All-Star in 2019. I was like, okay, they got it all together. and They want their players to be successful and treat them like professionals. So I knew that was going to be the case um, with the Aces. Uh, how are you feeling about the first two games, both being against Seattle? I'm excited. I'm just ready for that ball to jump <laughs> and to be able to get that out there on the floor and compete. Well, the Aces do uh, start the season this Saturday. Uh, it's a noon start Pacific time in Seattle. They also play Tuesday against the Storm as well. Chelsea, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Chelsea. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care of yourself. Two things. Number one, regular mention of Jiggy that absolutely. nobody listening, I, no, I nobody listening knows. Chelsea knows who Jiggy is. Yes. I know who Jiggy Bill is. Bill knows who he is. You do. One percent of our listeners know Jiggy is. Does Mark Davis know Jiggy? He knows. He knows the man, but does he know he's Jiggy? Does he uh, call him Jiggy? Oh, it's a good, it's a good question. Now to explain to the ninety-nine percent <laughs> of you that don't know what's happening, Jiggy is the media relations yes. director for the Aces who yes. sets up these interviews. Yes, John. That. Yes, and his actual name is not Jiggy. Yes, but yes. Jiggy is is the person Ed will refer to. That yes. <laughs> nobody listening knows Jiggy and Deuce. Those are yes, our two. Exactly. Which really does sound like a mid 90s morning zoo crew. <laughs> it's Jiggy and the Deuce in the morning. 555 FM. That's <laughs> oh, beautiful. The second part is that we will be carrying that Aces game <laughs> yeah. on Saturday at noon. That's not, but that's not the most important part. No, it was that's... to make sure people know who the hell Jiggy <laughs> yeah, is since exactly. you keep bringing him up. But yes, noon on Saturday is the Aces' first game. So if you want to listen to that, you can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas as they start their season uh, with the team that beat them in the WNBA Finals. Back-to-back games in Seattle against the team that beat them. So uh, it's... Like you, you, you brought it up with Bill Lambert when you talked to him. You brought it up with Chelsea. It's it's title or bust. Like they lose yeah. Angel McCautry to an ACL injury, which is well, they still have three of the top twenty five. Right, right? It's I mean, brutal they, to lose. It's brutal to lose one of your starters right before right. the season. But like it, it's a roster that's built out that you could say, okay, you lost a starter. You should. It's it doesn't change much. You should still be contending for the WNBA title when we oh, get absolutely. to the, end of the season. Absolutely, and if they don't win it. Like, is it a failed season if they lose the WNBA Finals again? It's kind of harsh, but yes. Like, yeah. I, I, it is at this point. Like, they have a drafting Asia Wilson basically created this championship window, and they went all in with Liz Cambage. They traded away draft picks to get Liz Cambage. They've now signed Chelsea Gray. They signed Angel McCautry last year, even though she's not going to play. Like, this is a team that's built to win right now, win a WNBA title now, and they didn't do it the last two years despite getting close. If you don't do it now or next year, you're looking around saying, well, you might you might not ever get it done right. with this group. So that's where it's at. I can't gauge them yet because they tied the other day, even though it was an oh, exhibition. Oh, they tied an exhibition. I mean, I, to, me, to me, I think you do three-point shooting at, at that least, point. It's, it's, like, it's preseason. Do like just, a shootout yeah. in the hockey. Like just, just, you know, plumb at one end, someone else at the other end for the sparks, and just, you know, well, here we go. Everyone gets five threes, see who makes them. I, I don't like ties, yeah. even in exhibitions. I don't like ties. That'd be great. It'd be it'd be so much better. Yeah. All right, hold on. Side note, what am I reading here? You're Press li- release. You're looking at the Golden Knights, aren't you? I saw yeah, that. Uh, I saw that. Vegas Foley. Golden Knights purchase yes, indoor, indoor football. football league expansion franchise to play in Las Vegas uh, in Henderson. They're going to play at the the Silver Knights Arena. <laughs> Henderson's a Bishop Gorman move away from having like the most good teams in the entire town. 
What are we doing with an indoor football team? Bill Foley. Is it like arena league? Like what? What are we? What? It has to is, be if it's at if it's at now, the Silver Knights. The arena. WNBA is the top league in for their for their sport in the country. So, it, is this like Bill Foley just being mad at Davis for having two teams and him saying, "You know what? I want another team." Maybe and go in and get an indoor football team. Doesn't Foley have enough money to just go buy like a, a baseball team if he wanted to? Right. This Probably. is a massive disappointment. Like Bill Foley. You wanted him to buy the diamond. If I told you Bill Foley bought a second pro sports oh, team and brought him to Vegas, and then you find out. Or in the no NBA. And then NBA. you find out it's indoor football. It's a huge disappointment. But yes, Jared, it is like arena football style, 50 yard field. Is this this isn't uh this isn't the one Manziel plays in, is it? Uh, no, it is not what Manziel is in. Um, I'm is this a new league? No, it's expansion. Season. This league must be around if they're buying an expansion team. Uh, looking at this, it looks like this is where teams, when the Arena Football League folded, went to. Ah, okay. 50-yard like field? Like, it existed before Arena Football folded, but uh, yes. The IFL includes historic football organizations like the Arizona Rattlers and Iowa Barnstormers. Oh, Arizona Rattlers are big time. Who were, in the who, yeah. Yeah, who were AFL teams. So it sounds like this was the offshoot worst to version of the arena football league. And then when the arena football league hey, folded, some hey. of those teams. Where are they playing it. in Henderson? The, they'll play at the silver Knights arena. Oh, when it's okay. Um, All right. okay. The dollar loan center center. Right. That's where they're going to play. Yeah. Dollar loan center center. Yeah. Will they have a crier? Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Knights? What if the town crier the just picked up another Knights? gig? Like it'd be kind of cool if he picked up another gig. The crier's like he'll he he won't have to do anything except sports now. This town crier. How much do you think? Henry do you guys want the town team? crier on? Because I could get him only if he answers every question through that horn. I don't know. I don't want to interview him. I just want him to yell inane things in his town crier voice. All right. Well, once the pa- yes, once yeah, the pandemic's over, I can probably set right, that just up. Yeah, just stand him in the corner. That would be awesome. Yeah, and he just yells like that. Yes. I don't want to interview. I just want that. That in the would really be stays in character. That would be an improvement to the show if he for three hours sat there just screaming things at people. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Good, well, good joke, for them. Tyler. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they've bought a team. Henderson yeah. spent how much on this? Is, did Henderson actually get a team no, without yeah, spending H- money? H- Foley bought this, right? I mean, yes, no, but, but Henderson had to put up at least some somehow, money. some way. Well, to get Henderson's another team, Foley had to buy one percent, and Henderson checked in ninety nine. Right, exactly. I mean, that's saying, like, the, you know, that's Foley the, said, "Hey, I might, I might buy this indoor football team." No, we'll guys, buy it for you, Bill. Yeah, exactly. So, like, how we, much? We want every sport imaginable. How much is what we got to find out? What would an expansion? I'm looking up the expansion fee. Oh, there's no way that's online. An expansion fee for indoor football? Well, I assume it's like a franchise fee for a subway. You just Google it. <laughs> Have you thought about <laughs> buying a subway before? I thought about a Jimmy John's one. Yeah, Jesus. no, it's... Uh, I did well, think about Jimmy John's. You got to sell the sandwiches, Ed, not eat them yourself. No, you go one, you sell five. I mean, you eat one. So I, I actually, I was very... I. It was even a longer... It was even closer oh than you might God. imagine. He had a binder. no. You, you, it was closer than you imagined. It had to be Jimmy John's. I wouldn't go Subway. Can't do it. Got to stay. I got to stay committed and loyal. I is Subway a sponsor? I feel like owning a restaurant would be the worst business to get into. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Most of them fail. That's that you're hit. You hit out of the right. park there. So I feel like unless you can own a Chick Fil A or an In and Out on a college campus, then you'll be worth millions. <laughs> If you if you own one of those on a college campus, you're worth millions, like overnight. I went to high school with a girl whose dad was the franchisee of a Chick Fil A. 
Really? Yeah, looking back, I should have been nicer to her. You should have been nicer to that gal. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Chick-fil-A back then? Yeah. Can you imagine now what that would be worth? Yeah. I messed up. There's a few, like, Chick-fil-A in now that you... It's almost impossible to lose money. You must have the, like, worst Location area. Yeah, oh, my God, yeah. if you can't make money off those. All right, coming up next, we see if we can find out how much Bill Foley paid for an expansion indoor football team. .com to learn more. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. We have not discovered... <laughs> The expansion fee for Bill Foley's indoor football team. Haven't figured it out, but I know the name of the team. I already know what this team will be called. Obviously, they will be a knight because that is the only way that they can name things. This indoor football team that Bill Foley has just purchased that will start in 2022 will be known as the Henderson Leather Knights. Oh, Leather Knights. If, if for, I, le for Leatherwood? <laughs> is he, he might make that team. What if, like, two years from now, he's a complete bust and, and, and the Leatherwood kid's starting for the Henderson Bronze Knights? That'd be kind of funny. I, okay, see, my first thought was, doesn't Leather Knights sound like a like weird night at the bar? That's like... Uh, <laughs> yeah. don't, every, don't, every Wednesday. Yeah. What does Golden Knights sound like? <laughs> Oh, we don't answer that question. Oh, don't answer that question. I'm just saying it's going to be something nights. Nice. No, they yeah, play football, even though yeah. it's not really made with leather anymore. Right. It's still going to be leather nights. I mean, look, I'm not even blinking at that. It's, it's, it's going to be something nights. Nice. So you only have a few. Well, we say there are the bronze options. You have gold, silver, and bronze. That's, that'd be probably a layup. It'd be too easy. So they'll probably go with something like you got to save bronze for the next minor league. Yeah, for the ECL. Yeah. ECHL. Oh, ECHL. ECHL. Right. ECHL. Yeah. That's you can't, with hockey. Because if you're the bronze knights, then you're suggesting you can go from the indoor football league to the silver knights of the AHL. Yeah. Which, I, which yeah, I mean, based on Tim Tebow's career path, you might be able to. <laughs> so this is literally, as you guys looked up, an offshoot from the Arena League. Basically, from the right. defunct like it arena existed league. before the arena league. Oh, it folded. did. Yeah, it's existed oh. for a while. But, <laughs> but when the arena league folded, they took on a couple of their teams. But, By the so way, the journalist Jared did some great research in the break and discovered this league has three teams in Arizona. Three in so Arizona. You can actually save money on your travel by going and having like three games yes. in four nights. Because my guess is the travel budget on this isn't the same as the Golden Knights. Three well, I, Arizona teams, two Iowa teams. Plus, and in New Mexico. <laughs> plus a team in Quad City, Illinois. And, Jared, I don't know much about the Illinois region of the world, but I can't imagine Quad City, <laughs> no. Illinois is popping. It's, it's, poppin'. it's literally just where four states meet. <laughs> so they draw fans from all over the, all over the region. Come to Quad City. Is this league going to work? I mean, obviously it works. They, they've existed for Well, they're doing expansion teams. Decades. It must work. Yeah. This thing's been around for two decades? Eight, this is 18 years, This I specific league? Yeah, I think it's at 18 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah no, that was the great part of league. No, 13, 13, I, excuse me. I'm not going to say who, because I'm just not going to say who, but one of our dear friends who work in the business just texted me, I legit have no idea about this league or nothing about it. <laughs> and, like, he knows sports really well, because I've never heard of this. So... Anyway, I hope I hope that was Mark Davis. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. <laughs> All right. Do we have a voicemail to play? Yes, we do. And oh, we, we're right. right. Let's, let's play the voicemail. 
Not too much of a complaint here, but more of a praise for the Ed Graney article in the RJ this morning. It was superb. And then you embellished on it on the radio show, and I'm very grateful because I still am not completely certain why Peyton Krebs himself, who is a minimum salary player, entry-level player, why he and he alone would have affected the salary cap from 17 skaters to 15. That was a a great explanation, but not a complete one, in my opinion. Uh, It was excellent to point the finger directly at management, but also to exonerate them, I think, because they did what they had to do to make VGK a competitor, not in the regular season as much, because that was a foregone conclusion, but to make them a competitor in the postseason. And we'll see what they're like. If, and this is a big if, where are we at with Pacioretty and Nosek and Reeves at all? Are they going to be back for the playoffs or are they not? Thanks a lot, guys. You do a great job. Jared, what's the voicemail number? Oh, the actual to (laughs) to call it? Yeah, if you want to call and leave a voicemail, and we'll play it on the air. That's something I should know off the top of my head. All right. We have a stinger that plays after some of our segments. That's how we got that voicemail. You created it. <laughs> well, I don't leave. I don't. It's sort of like my own number. I always have to think about it because I'm like, I don't I don't call myself very often. Once we figure out that number, we'll let you yeah. know. And you can call and leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the show to answer his question. By the way, leave your name to answer his question. Um, Peyton Krebs, the reason he counts for two players against the salary cap is because of bonuses in his contract, just like Cody Glass, where the bonuses end up counting against the cap. So that's why even though he's making like $800,000, he technically is like a 1.6 player.